Hello and welcome to the 100th episode of Shaping Fire. I am your host, Shango Lose. Before we get to the meat of the program, I'm going to take a little bit of time here at the top of the show and share some of the philosophy and themes behind the Shaping Fire podcast that we've never really talked about in the first 100 episodes. I get questions about these things and I figure I might as well, you know, what better time than the 100th episode to share it with you. So number one is, uh, of course, the main guide behind the program is to make cannabis enthusiasts self-sufficient. I appreciate that access is increasing across the United States as normalization kind of creeps in, and and it's good to support those stores. However, um, I also think that patients should be able to grow and produce their own medicine and preparations at home, and every episode of Shaping Fire works towards that goal. Also, each episode I try to make sure is packed with information that you can take action on. I try to include everything you need in an episode to make a decision or take action or at least feel like you have a handle on that topic. Too often, I listen to a podcast to learn and I'm only given about 65 or 70% of the information I actually need. And so I still have to continue my research to fill in the holes. With Shaping Fire episodes, I really try to give you everything you need to start making decisions. And sure, there's almost always more research that's needed, but at least you know that you have the basics covered and you can go forward on your second layer race research with confidence. Um, I book Shaping Fire episodes or my guests based on topics and I don't do company profiles and I don't do people profiles. Um, I find a topic that I'm interested and I think that the audience would be interested in, and that is undercovered in cannabis media. After I've got that topic and what I want, what I want to cover, I then go and find a guest who is an industry expert in that area. And then I invite them on the show. Um, Every week, I get lots of people interested in being on the show or their press agents, and and they let me know that this person is very interesting, except Shaping Fire is not about that person. Shaping Fire is about cannabis patients, and those are the people who are important. And so I see my role as a role of service, bringing you topics that you are interested in learning in, and then we just go and find the right person for it. Before people are on my show, we have a conversation so they too understand that this show is not about them and it's not about me. Is this doing this show is a role of service for cannabis patients and that's how we treat it. And people who don't work in that way, they don't end up on shaping fire. So that's how I choose guests. Similarly, I choose my advertisers based on those same kinds of morals. I choose advertisers that have a message or a product that I actually think that regenerative minded cannabis users are going to be interested in. And so because of that, you don't see me uh, accepting money from uh, bottled salt fertilizer companies and boy, do they want to be on the show and gosh, have I had to turn down a lot of money, but it would be very difficult for me to have all of these regenerative guests and then cut to and commercial that is some kind of A plus B salt nutrient for indoor. It just would be out of integrity for me. And so I don't do it. Um, Online, I don't fight with trolls. I just restrict them and move on with my life. You know, a lot of people really get into the fight online and I just don't, I just don't have the energy for it. I don't like that feeling of stress in the middle of my chest when, when people are involved in online fighting. So, so I just, I just don't even respond. And I 
block them or restrict them and get on with my life. I got way more important things to do than, than internet fighting. My first podcast, my first 55 of them were actually for gontrepreneur.com. Um, I worked with them for a year doing weekly shows and I recommend that you go over to gontrepreneur.com and uh, check those out. Um, I love the guys there. Um, but you know, I realized that I was pretty darn good at this podcasting thing and I wanted to own all my own intellectual property. So, um, I said goodbye to the fellas and I wish them the best and we're all still friends and, uh, and I formed shaping fire so that I could be in control of my own destiny, choose my own advertisers, own my own intellectual property and move forward. And now five years in, I think that was a great decision and, uh, happily I've been met with a lot of success and can support myself um, off the show. Uh, I've also done 100 episodes of Shaping Fire over the f last five years, uh, 20 per year, roughly twice a month with a, a break around Christmas. So at 20 episodes a year, um, it's certainly not as uh, fast as many podcasts that have got weekly or even daily episodes. Uh, I've just never been interested in that. And I, I spend too much time curating my content and, and finding... Um, difficult to find guests and then reading their books before they're on the show, or if they're a scientist, all of their scientific papers and, um, doing lots of episodes has just never been attracted to me, attractive to me. I'd rather do less shows and have them be more in depth. And that's, that isn't to, to shame anybody else's show. Like there's lots of room in this scene for lots of different shows and people love different types of entertainment and education. So, while Shaping Fire isn't the show that I'm going to be smoking out with the guest and we're going to be talking about what we're smoking on, um, there's certainly a place for that. And I think that there's enough room for everybody. And certainly um, my audience appreciates how, how I approach things. There's also the YouTube channel, in case you're not familiar with that. There's almost 200 videos of um, various speakers speaking on cannabis and entheogens. Um, and it's, it's kind of funny because the, the, the YouTube channel was an accident, actually. Um, when I started traveling um, back in 2015 or so, uh, people were flying me out to speak at cannabis conventions. Um, you know, since I was at the cannabis convention, I was also going to see really good speakers. And it, it seemed like a waste to not record them. So every time I went to see a speaker, I also recorded the speaker so that I could bring home that content to you so you could enjoy it without ever having to travel. And so I started dumping those videos onto the YouTube channel and, you know, eventually more and more people started watching them and subscribing. And, you know, we've got over 10,000 subscribers now. I think we're at like 13,000 perhaps. And, you know, over, over a million and a half minutes served and, you know, serving 30 to 40,000 people a month. So, um, it's pretty good. It, it doesn't generate any money at all. Um, but it's just a good resource for people. And, and I'm glad we started it all that time ago. I talk in this episode a lot about patients I've been involved with and I have, but I don't practice medicine. I'm not a doctor, um, or do I have an office nor do I charge a fee for these consultations. So you'll hear me refer to patients a lot in this episode. And this is simply because when you are interviewing medical doctors and scientists every week and then speaking about that publicly, you start to attract people with questions and stories. And then I tend to keep in contact with people. 
And so it's been over this decade of learning from patients that I have been able to amass this knowledge for myself as a cannabis patient and to help the people around me here on Vashon Island where I live. But but it's important to be sure that that I am not a doctor and uh, I am not cosplaying as a doctor at all, nor charging money. So not practicing medicine without a license. And I always encourage you to talk to your doctors about anything that you decide to do after listening to Shaping Fire. That said, with this episode, I'm trying to offer this dosing information in a way so people don't have to reach out to me all the time. So um, please, this is not an invitation to send me Instagram messages and emails asking me about um, your specific um, ailment. Um, I'm, I'm not really working with patients anymore, except for my local neighbors. So, so I hope that you get what you need from this episode. And I tried to make it as complete as possible just for that reason. So going forward, you can expect more soil episodes, more regenerative techniques, more making hash and oil and such at home, and of course, more cannabis and health. And I'm going to keep up with the mushrooms, DMT, and other entheogen topics too. So thank you for being part of the Shaping Fire community, and thanks for telling your friends about Shaping Fire. If you want to learn about cannabis health, cultivation, and technique efficiently and with good cheer, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll send you new podcast episodes as they come out, delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week and videos, too. Don't rely on social media to let you know when a new episode is published. Sign up for the updates to make sure you don't miss an episode. Also, we're giving away very cool prizes to folks who are signed up to receive the newsletter. There's nothing else you need to do to win except receive that newsletter. So go to shapingfire.com to sign up for the newsletter and be entered into this month's and all future newsletter prize drawings. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I am your host, Shango Lose. My guest today is, well, me, Shango Lose. I have been a cannabis educator for the last decade and have been involved with cannabis medicine since 1989. I have listened to the stories of more patients than I can count. I founded the Vashon Island Marijuana Enthusiast Alliance many years ago to gather cannabis patients and those who love them to share best practices and to bring in international guest speakers. And boy, oh boy, has that been a success. I presently spend my time producing the Shaping Fire podcast as I recover from burnout and study neurodivergence. This is a long episode, but I was careful to edit out anything that felt like filler My hope is that it's a comprehensive guide for those who are new to dosing cannabinoids so they can take their next steps toward healing with confidence. This is the first time I've ever recorded solo like this, so perhaps cut me some slack. If you like this sort of episode, please let me know because I have an episode like this written on the 90-day cancer protocol too that I do if you happen to like this format. Okay, friends, let's go. So here we are, friends. I have been wanting to record this episode for a couple years now. It's one of the most common things that I'm asked for. I, I teach about dosing a lot to, uh, you know, small groups of people in their homes. And, uh, you know, occasionally I'm asked to do this talk at, um, you know, at conventions or, 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 you know, caregiver events or whatever. Um, but those are always so informal and there's always lots of questions. It, it never really, um, seemed appropriate to, to put any of those recordings out. So, for the first time here for the 100th episode, I figured I would uh, uh, give it a shot to um, uh, put this body of information that I've got um, here for you um, so that you can um, you know, potentially learn some yourself and share it with caregivers and family and friends in a way that can 
get folks up to speed on cannabis dosing in a way that um, is useful to them in their everyday life and isn't packed with misinformation. Because as we all know, most of the information that you can get um, from just searching online is pretty bad. Um, but I will take a moment and plug projectcbd.org. Um, Martin Lee has done a great job uh, pulling together, um, you know, accurate cannabis information with um, excellent articles on different um, medical conditions and using cannabis for it. And um, at the end of all the articles, um, they have got links to all of the original cannabis white papers um, on that particular cannabis medical topic. So, um, <clears throat> If I would recommend that you go anywhere else, it would be to uh, Project CBD. So this episode is primarily designed for patients and those who love them. Um, you know, I pretty much consider everyone who uses cannabis to be a, you know, air quotes, cannabis patient. Because, you know, even if you're just using cannabis as, uh, you, know, you know, recreationally, because it, you know, makes you feel good and maybe decreases your anxiety and, you know, causes you to have fun when you're out in nature or playing video games or whatever you're using it uh, to, you know, as a euphoric to improve your life so that, um, you know, <laughs> you have a life that's worth living, right? Things are hard now for a lot of people. And a lot of us turn to cannabis for quality of life. And, um, you know, and that's a good thing. Um, so I want to point out that the vocabulary I'll be using today is a layman's vocabulary primarily. Um, it's true that I do a lot of teaching to caregivers and doctors and nurses and things like that to help them understand how best to, you know, assess and plan for and dose cannabis medicine in their clinics. But the vast majority of the people that I talk to are just like regular folks, you know, like somebody's mom, somebody's uncle, somebody's neighbor, um, and, and hell, a lot of the times it's just the people that I run into at the grocery store on the island where I live. And so, um, that's, those are the people that, uh, you know, I, I talk to most because I think that's where I can have, um, the most authentic, uh, impact. So, um, this episode is, is for those folks, for you folks, um, who are, don't, don't necessarily have medical training and yet you really want to have a specific dosing information, um, for yourself or to help the people that you like. So, um, you know, my experience is with, um, consulting, teaching, however you want to put it for over a thousand patients, um, for almost a decade now. And also as a, um, a medicine maker for myself, I've had a brain injury, a couple of car accidents, things like that. And so, um, I've had the opportunity to, uh, participate in the Washington medical market, um, and, and learn lots of different feedback from different types of patients at different ages and, uh, you know, economic levels on different types of products from tincture to flower to edibles to, uh, you know, um, you know, what we call RSO, but, uh, I don't prefer that name. I, I prefer just full extract cannabis oil, all that stuff, you know, and, and, and after you spend this much time talking with people and learning everybody's best practices and then giving, suggestions to people and then hearing back from them, you know, I've developed a pretty um, good uh, body of information in my head. And then, um, you know, four years ago, um, uh, I put together a study on Vashon on CBD oil dosing. I guess that's five years ago now. Um, and then three years ago, I did the same thing with uh, CBG oil. 
And that brought up a whole bunch of uh, very interesting applications for CBG, and we'll talk about that later. And then um, I'm just setting up one right now on CBDV, the Varin version of uh, cannabidiol. And so um, these are opportunities that really afford me a lot more um, first-person information than than even most clinical doctors. So so here we go. During the first set, we're going to talk about some basics about the endocannabinoid system and uh, different methods of use of cannabis and their pros and cons specifically for patients. And then uh, during the second set, we're going to talk about um, the specific uh, cannabinoids that we are most familiar with and we and we have actual dosing information for. And then um, to help get your head wrapped around... Um, like how to actually apply this stuff. The third set is uh, is all about very specific medical conditions um, that once we talk about those medical conditions and how to think through the dosing on those, you'll have a really good idea of how to think through similar medical conditions and and how to think through dosing on those. Because my goal with this episode is not just like give you a spreadsheet in your head of, okay, if you've got this, take this. If you've got this, take this. Because really every human is different and individualized medicine is something that we can attain with cannabis. So, so let's do that. And so instead of just giving you very, um, you know, tight dosing specifications for, for assuming everybody's the same. I want to teach you how to think about cannabis dosing so you can understand why the dosing is the way it is. And, and so you can make subtle changes based on you or your patient's needs, and you can be a more dynamic cannabis user than, um, than you would be if you were just, you know, hearing, you know, the specific milligrams you need, because honestly, people's dosing needs flexibility. Let's start by talking about the endocannabinoid system. The endocannabinoid system is uh, the human body's primary uh, regulatory system. It's kind of like a thermostat for all of the mission-critical systems of the body. Um, if you've got a system that's running hot, it cools it down. And if you've got a bodily system that's sluggish, um, it fires it up. And um, it brings everything back to the middle, a balanced place, what they call in um, Chinese medicine to tonify, right? To bring back into balance. And that's what the endocannabinoid system does. Um, I think of it, and I often explain it as being a second grade teacher. When the second grade teacher is in the classroom, the kids are generally behaving, right? They're doing their work and doing their thing. Um, but if somebody comes to the door and the second grade teacher needs to step out into the hallway for a moment, the kids will be fine for a while, but eventually some kid will, you know, crack up or make a noise and then another kid will crack up. And then, you know, eventually a bunch of the kids are cracking up until the second grade teacher comes back into the room. Same thing with your endocannabinoid system. When the endocannabinoid system is thriving and strong, um, it is regulating all of those bodily systems the way that it's supposed to. Um, the challenge comes into when um, our endocannabinoid system um, becomes weakened. And different folks have different systems fall into dysregulation. Um, that's one of the odd things of why uh, endocannabinoid deficiency can look so different. Because when you have a weakened endocannabinoid system, 
you know, different people have got different second grade students that go bad, right? So some somebody somebody might um, see it in uh, migraines, and somebody else might get it in irritable bowel syndrome, and somebody else might get fibromyalgia, and um, since somebody else might get a combination of these things. And the longer they ignore it, they start to stack up more and more of these ailments from the endocannabinoid system no longer effectively keeping their different bodily systems in balance. And so that's why it's so important to keep the endocannabinoid system from um, beginning uh, becoming deficient. Some of the most common first things we see are IBS, fibromyalgia, migraines, but also autoimmune issues and Parkinson's and dementia. Um, these are all ailments that at their core have got an endocannabinoid um, base. So let's talk a little bit more about endocannabinoid deficiency. So these are aspects of a dysregulated endocannabinoid system, right? When the endocannabinoid system is not making enough uh, endogenous cannabinoids, which means cannabinoids that are made in the body, um, it doesn't have enough signaling molecules to go around the body and, and do the work and to regulate these systems. And you know, if you if you refer to Dr. Ethan Russo's original paper on uh, endocannabinoid deficiency, and you look at the causes for endocannabinoid deficiency, it reads just like a normal day in America. Listen to this: these are these are the five uh, big things. So, number one, environmental toxins. Number two, pharmaceuticals that repress the immune system or intentionally dysregulate the human body in some way, like chemo being an extreme example. Um, but you know, antibiotics are another example. So it doesn't it doesn't take much. You're just, we're just talking about any pharmaceutical that's going to be repressing normal uh, endocannabinoid operation. Poor sleep, poor nutrition, and stress. Well, my gosh, that's that's just the modern world. <laughs> So um, it is very likely that most, if not everybody in the country, has got an endocannabinoid deficiency. And that explains why we've got this is, you know, such a terrible situation with uh, so many people getting sick in different ways and, and having weakened immune systems, which, you know, uh, cause us to walk around our lives with heightened anxiety and uh, susceptible to all sorts of, um, you know, disease and virus. So, you know, when teaching specifically about CBD, uh, cannabis medicine in general, but really about CBD, some people become skeptical asking, how can one supplement help so many different ailments? But it's really just one thing that CBD supports, right? And that's the endocannabinoid system. But that system touches nearly everything in the body. So when we add uh, cannabidiol, CBD, as a supplement, it just makes sense that if you would strengthen the body's self-regulation system, that you would also empower the body to make the changes it needs everywhere. So this is why they say, oh, you got migraines, CBD, you got irritable bowel syndrome, you got, you know, CBD, you got poor sleep, CBD, you got pain, CBD. It's like, oh, come on, man. Like, it can't be a panacea, but... It is and it isn't. Like it really does help alleviate all of this suffering, but it's really just because 
it's helping one system. And that system is the endocannabinoid system. And that's the master regulatory system. So it's really just a matter of perspective. Um, if you want to learn more about this uh, firsthand from Dr. Ethan Russo, his uh, seminal paper on that from 2004 called Clinical Endocannabinoid Deficiency um, is available easily for free online. And if you go to the uh, Shaping Fire website for this episode, number 100, um, I've got a link to it uh, for you there. Um, also, if you want to hear Dr. Ethan Russo talking about endocannabinoid deficiency in medical cannabis, I actually did an interview with him about endocannabinoid deficiency a long time ago, back in uh, 2015, um, when I was still a partner over at gonjpreneur.com and hosting the gonjpreneur.com podcast. So if you go over the, to gonjpreneur.com into 2015, um, you can find my interview with uh, Dr. Russo there um, before I left Gunchpreneur and, and started Shaping Fire. Um, you can also read a very helpful article on endocannabinoid nutrition um, from 2016. Um, uh, actually, it's not an article. It's another interview I did with uh, Ethan Russo um, at Gunchpreneur again. So uh, I, did a, I did a full year of weekly episodes for them. Like I think I did like 54 episodes before... Um, before I wished them well and came over and started uh, shaping fire. So, so in 2016, that episode's called endocannabinoid nutrition. And um, it's probably really easy if you just, you know, Google endocannabinoid nutrition, Ethan Russo, Gonchpreneur, that'll get you there. Um, also, uh, more recently, though, uh, if you want to learn more about endocannabinoid mechanics, I also recommend Shaping Fire episodes 78 and 81. And they're both with Dr. Miyabi Shields, who is an endocannabinoid researcher. And uh, we talk in detail about endocannabinoid mechanics and, um, you know, kind of the endocannabinoid system in depth. And, um, and Miyabi is uh, absolutely a, f a fantastic guest and um, a uh, pharmacologist and really understands, um, you know, the, the biochemical um, workings of, of the human body. So, all right. So, so let's move on to the next section. You can always look up more on the endocannabinoid system, but uh, I think that that is a good enough explanation for, for most folks uh, to get a good picture of it in their head. So the next thing we're going to talk about is a uh, method of use, right? How do you get the um, uh, cannabinoids into your body? And so, so how we jump from endocannabinoids to using the cannabis plant is pretty simple. Um, I mentioned that the endocannabinoid system uh, creates and manages uh, cannabinoids, and when they're made inside the body, they're called en endocannabinoids because they're endogenous to the body. They're, they're germane to the body. They, they come from the body. Um, but if your body is not making them because you have endocannabinoid deficiency... You've got to get them elsewhere, and then you've got to put them in your body to strengthen your endocannabinoid system, and hopefully you'd be able to decrease those, um, those five things that cause 
endocannabinoid deficiency, right? So that you can start making your own again. Um, in the interim, you're going to, you're going to supplement with phytocannabinoids, which are uh, cannabinoids that come from plants. So, you know, your long-term goal is actually to take phytocannabinoids from cannabis, but then also go back and, and fix as best as you can the five things that cause endocannabinoid deficiency, right? The poor sleep. All right, get better sleep. Poor nutrition, eat better food, eat fresher food, don't eat as much processed food. Environmental toxins, well, that's pretty that's a lot, that's pretty difficult if you live in the city, but you know, do what you can to decrease environmental toxins and then um, uh, decrease the the you know as much as you can the pharmaceuticals in your life that are screwing up your endocannabinoid system. Which, uh, for, for many of these ailments we take pharmaceuticals for, um, we would be better to take a cannabis medicine full of phytocannabinoids to strengthen our endocannabinoid system to let the endocannabinoid system solve these issues for us instead of taking, um, more radicalized pharmaceuticals, um, that often have, um, uh, unpleasant, um, side effects. So, so we want to get phytocannabinoids into our body, and, and those are in the plant. And so um, let's talk about the different ways that you can um, take um, the cannabis plant into your body. Let's start with the most common way that people get cannabis into their body, which is by smoking it. So um, while the most traditional and accepted way to use cannabis, dosing from smoking cannabis plants is hard because it's very inexact and often patients don't have proper test results for whatever they are smoking. Um, the inexact part is that you, you don't know how much of the flower or a joint or a bowl or a bong to smoke to get the dosage that you're shooting for. If you're, if you're shooting for five or 10 milligrams of, of THC, um, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it could just be, you know, another, an extra two puffs that take you from where you want to be to actually being more medicated than you want to be. And, and you've missed the zone that you want, that you want to target, um, to help you with your ailment. I mean, we've all had the experience of, of wanting to have a little puffy puff before we go somewhere and it ends up coming on a lot stronger. And then we're like, Oh, I guess I can't leave right now. And you have to wait to come down a bit before you go. Well, you know, if, if you're in the social time of your day and you don't have a lot of pressure on you, well, that that's, that's fine. You know, you can do that. Um, but if you've got to like get, you know, if you're in a lot of pain and you have to get to work, if you are, uh, if you're having a lot of suffering and you have to stay sharp to take care of your kids, you know, really, um, smoking may not be the way to go because it is so hard to titrate your dosage and know exactly what you're taking. Also, you know, the, 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 the most patients don't have test results for the flower that they're smoking. Most folks don't get the flower that they grow at home tested. Um, most folks don't get um, uh, analysis testing um, when they buy their weed from their neighbor. And, you know, if you're, if you're shopping at a medical or a licensed, um, you know, recreational store, you know, they may or may not have the analysis on hand. Some states, they don't have to have it there. They just, you know, need to have it back at the original grower and you can, you know, email them for it, right? So 
big difference whether or not it's available in the store or if it just like theoretically exists in the world and you could ask for it. Also, just because, you know, the there is a certificate of analysis in the store and you can look at it, that doesn't necessarily mean those are the ratios that are in your particular flower. Um, you know, there are different parts of the plant will develop different cannabinoids. So the things on the top that are going to, the, the flowers on the top that are getting um, uh, longer and more intense sunshine, they will develop different cannabinoids than um, flower that is, you know, more in the interior or on the middle or towards the low. And so, so different parts of the plant are, are actually going to be different medicine to some degree. Um, also, smoking cannabis results in cannabinoid conversion. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a myth that the lab results that you are getting about your flower is showing what exactly is going into your body when you smoke it. Um, we know from significant research that when you combust um, the the, the, the flower, the cannabinoids convert to different cannabinoids often. And so um, you get this, um, you know, cannabinoid drift and um, you would only know what you're actually getting in your smoke by testing the smoke, which is not something that's available to nearly anybody. The reason why smoking is, you know, moves so fast is because when you inhale the smoke, your lungs are very efficient at, um, at bringing in cannabinoids um, through the through the lung, and um, it's very quickly in the blood, and then it's very quickly um, to your brain and distributed around your body. So it's just the fastest. And so as soon as you smoke, you know, within the first ten to fifteen minutes, you take this fast, fast ride up this roller coaster and then you slowly start to you know come down over time um whereas uh you know when you are using a different method which we'll talk about you're not you're not going up really fast you're going up at a measured pace and you're coming down as a measured pace and for repeatable for results and for continuing to be able to be productive during your day this is what is called for uh, most of the time for patients rather than smoking so obviously with the added caveat that um you know if you are, have got a an acute situation as a patient and you need medicine now you know, top of mind would be uh, severe pain patients um, and some types of, uh, you know, anxiety patients. Sometimes you need to smoke now and you need the, the, the cannabinoids to hit your bloodstream now. And for those folks, certainly um, smoking makes the most sense. Um, but generally speaking, for most ailments that most cannabis patients have, smoking will not be your option because it's, it's too uncontrolled. So let's talk about cannabis oil. So cannabis oil is um, the concentrated resin that is found in the trichomes on the cannabis flower. Um, this is where the majority of the medicine lives that that we remove from the plant. Um, there are, uh, you know, a lot of different uh, solvents that you can use to remove cannabis oil from the plant material. Um, over the years, um, hydrocarbons have been very, you know, pop popular, uh, butane, propane, and um, but there's been a lot of pushback around that because not everybody knows how to purge. Um, those hydrocarbons from the oil correctly, and and some of that can end up in your human. Um, I much prefer, as does 
many um, uh, medicine makers to use ethanol because ethanol does a really good job at uh, removing uh, the, the vital components of the resin and um, is, is quite easy to uh, remove after the fact um, by just adding um, a small amount of heat and the alcohol just vapes off. So um, it's, it's pretty hard to get into trouble with ethanol and uh, is, is certainly what is most called for for home medicine creation. But honestly, I've got a lot of respect for licensed companies that use ethanol too, um, because even though it's a, it's a little bit more uh, laborious than um, you know hydrocarbons often, um, uh, I think it gives a much better snapshot of, of all of the healing potential that is in um, the resin. So, um, so yeah, a lot of people call it RSO, Rick Simpson oil. Um, you know, while Rick Simpson uh, deserves some respect for popularizing RSO, um, you know, it's not like he invented it, you know. Um, yeah, he did bring it to a larger audience, and for that we'll ever be grateful. Um, but, you know, a lot of his original recipes, you know, when we look at now, um, you know, they're using dangerous solvents. And so um, that was a little sketchy. But, you know, building on what um, Rick made popular. Um, there are now more modern processes that, for example, use ethanol, uh, which is the primary solvent used nowadays. And so we all still kind of call it RSO because that's what people know it first. Um, but um, it's been a whole bunch of other names have been tried to be given to it. Um, another popular one is FICO, uh, full extract cannabis oil. Unfortunately, FICO sounds like fecal though, right? I don't, I don't think FICO is ever going to like catch on fully nationally, but full extract cannabis oil that, I mean, that, that sounds good. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and so you know, some companies have tried to name their process, different things, but, um, I'll probably sometimes accidentally say RSO during this episode. Um, but I usually just, uh, I just usually call it full, full, uh, extract cannabis oil and just say those words and don't usually use FICO. But, um, but now you're at least familiar with the terminology. So, um, one of the reasons why using a full extract cannabis oil is, um, is, is probably at the top of the list of what to use as a patient is because once the oil was made, um, all of the oil is pretty uniform and homogenized. Um, it's not like, oh, this part of the batch um, has got these cannabinoids and this part of the batch has got these other cannabinoids. Um, once you have um, soaked the cannabis in the ethanol and then gone and vaped off the ethanol, the, the sticky resin that you're left with is pretty homogenized and it's all the same. And so when you go ahead and you um, send it off to a cannabis lab to have the analytics done, you know that those analytics are representative of all of the medicine in the batch. And you can compare that to what we were just talking about, about cannabis flowers, where um, the flowers that are at the top, middle, bottom, or interior of the plant will all have slightly different um, cannabinoid profiles. Um, but by the time it's in oil, because it's all been put, you know, it's all been soaked and and um, vaped off together, your oil is is essentially uniform, and that's great. And you know, if if you happen to live somewhere where you don't have access to a cannabis lab. 
at least you know that when you when you take your first trials of your oil to see how strong you made it once you've you know you've taken it three or four times and you're like okay i know how much i need as a patient of my stuff um it's going to be like that for the rest of the that oil that you take it's not like um you're going to take the first couple and you're like okay i now know that i need you know 0.05 milliliters of this oil for the medicinal experience that i'm looking for only to like take that same amount four days later and you're like, oh my God, I'm so high. Like that's not what medicinal cannabis is about. Medicinal cannabis is about repeatable results that you can rely on to improve your health, improve the strength of your endocannabinoid system and allow you to take cannabinoids while you can still function in life by, by, you know, going to work or, or taking care of your family or, I don't know if you're bad enough, just live, right? So um, we're looking for repeatable results. And that is one great aspect of cannabis oil. Another thing that's great about cannabis oil is, um, you know, when you're, when you're buying flour, um, flour costs money if it's got any particular, it costs more money if it's got any sort of bag of peel, right? So the the least expensive flour to buy is flour that is ugly and i don't i don't mean all molded and and such but i mean like like mids and lowers and stuff that was trimmed badly or wasn't trimmed at all like this is the best stuff to be making cannabis oil out of and it also happens to be the cheapest stuff in the market and so um it's not it's not uncommon for a a home grower to take all of the tops off their plant and and cure them and either keep them or sell them and then take all of the the lowers and either process it themselves or or give it to a loved one who's a, a patient to make into cannabis oil and so you know back in the day you know we used to call that trash and so people would all like where'd you dump your trash because all all of those all that trim that came off the plant uh, people weren't really doing extraction yet and so um people were just trying to find places to dump it where no one would find it and and bust them back in the day and then then all of a sudden um people started uh blasting bho in their back yards and trim became like really valuable and then you know we've just evolved from there that we now use every part of the plant and um, we're not going to talk about making cannabis oil today i just want you to understand that um the advantages of cannabis oil in its um uh consistency of analytical results throughout the batch and the fact that once you put it in a capsule and take it your body will process the capsule and and take the cannabinoids in and then you will slowly feel um you know the cannabinoids or not feel them depending on the dose that you you choose and you'll slowly have an intense intensity of cannabinoids and it'll slowly go down and that process usually takes between 3 to 4 hours so a patient who is uh, doing a cannabis oil protocol um will often take their capsule every 3 to 4 hours depending on um you know their needs and and what they can afford um 
the last thing I want to say about the cannabis oil is that, um, you know, because it's usually um, offered in syringes, like oral syringes, um, it's also quite easy to make uh, capsules. Um, most folks will pick up um, one milliliter capsules on eBay, excuse me, one milliliter syringes, oral syringes on eBay, and uh, you make your oil at home and you fill your syringes. And then the, uh, the, the, the nozzle, the nipple, not nozzle <laughs> on the one milliliter syringe fits really nicely into a number three size capsule. And so it, it makes making your capsules really easy. And the sides of the syringes are marked. So you know whether or not you're putting in, you know, 0.05 milliliter or 0.1 of a milliliter, which is, you know, usually where most people are. Um, and uh and people can uh take it by there um one note if you are going to buy your own capsules um uh, i recommend that when you buy them buy them separated i went years before you could before i realized that you could buy your capsules separated and so i i would just buy bags of capsules that were that looked like capsules then i'd have to separate them all by hand before i filled my um my capsules with the oil and i got to tell you when i was first starting making my capsules after i got my dual concussion resulting in a traumatic brain injury um like that was that was like filling capsules was mentally a lot of work and so i wanted to make the process as slow as possible and it would have been really nice to have known that i could have just bought caps that came in two bags separated so um so there's pro tip for you Okay, let's talk about tincture now. So um, one of the interesting things about tincture is that tincture is, at its most essential, cannabis oil that we just talked about, suspended in ethanol. Um, because uh, when you make the cannabis oil, you are using ethanol to extract the resin components from the trichomes on the flower. With a tincture, what you have is the cannabis resin suspended in ethanol, which is what's used to extract it. Um, now, it's certainly true that some people will add, um, you know, uh, vegetable glycerin or coconut or honey or a lot of other things to adulterate the oil to make it more palatable, right? Because um, a straight ethanol tincture. I mean, that's got, that's got some bite to it, right? Um, I normally tell patients that if they're making an ethanol tincture to be prepared to just, you know, take their dose and put it in a little bit of water and then just drink the water. Cause you know, if you're, if you're going to be using, you know, food grade ethanol at 190 proof, say for example, Everclear, I mean, Everclear burns most people's tongues, right? And so, um, you know, just putting it, putting a little bit of water in a sake glass or a shot glass, and then adding your tincture to that will make the ethanol a lot more palatable. If you happen to be in recovery from alcohol and um, you're, you know, are, you're not, you're, you, you have chosen to not have any alcohol at all in your life, um, what many patients do is that they will make a, a hot tea, not boiling, but just like hot tea. And then they'll put their tincture into the hot tea and the tea, you know, just like let it sit for a couple minutes and the hot tea will vape off, um, 
you know, the ethanol a- aspect of it and we'll just leave the uh, cannabinoids, the resin, uh, in the tea and then you just drink your tea and that seems to work for them. Um, so, so one of the things that's great about tincture is that when you put the resin into the ethanol, um, once you let it sit for a little bit, it will uh, uh, self-homogenize. It will uh, become ubiquitous. Uh, throughout the jar, and which means that um, if you if you make your tincture and you strain your tincture and then you let it sit for you know a day and and let it come to I don't know I want to say homeostasis but I don't think that's right but if you want to if you give it time to self homogenize. Um, uh, you can go ahead and, and, and take a sample out of it. Um, you know, I like using a turkey baster, take a sample out of it and, and put it in a little one ounce bottle and send it off to your, um, cannabis lab. And you'll know that the test that test results that come back apply to, um, the entire jar of tincture that you've made. And so, you know, that's the same thing I like about cannabis oil, right? That it's added, that it's uniform and it is one of the biggest problems with smoking flour because that's not uniform. So, so tincture we like because it's really easy for anybody to make. And, um, you know, if you don't add the adulterants and, and I don't add any adulterants to the stuff that I make for myself and, um, the stuff that I make for my parents, because, um, you know, as we get older, it is more difficult to shake a bottle of tincture. And if, and if you've got, you know, cannabis resin in there, maybe a little bit of ethanol and some glycerin, uh, those have all got different weights and they will not be uniform in the, the, in the tincture bottle. And so if you, if you, you know, give it the kind of shake that you, you can imagine you do with a tincture bottle, like you, that's not going to homogenize it, right? You're just going to like kind of mix it up a bit. Um, but that means that if you are taking a tincture that has got THC in it, which, um, you know, can, and cause, can, ta- can cause intoxication, um, you will not be getting consistent doses, right? If, if one, um, if one squirt of the dropper is usually going to be five milligrams and, and your tincture has got, you know, honey or glycerin or something else, you're going to get, you know, you, your, your, your dropper could have anywhere between like, you know, maybe two to eight milligrams of THC in it. Um, and that's a that's a really big swing for uh most patients especially new patients and so um so yeah uh and a lot of the you know a lot of folks can't they don't have the wrist you know to be able to to shake it anymore because um they've got arthritis so so you know if you're making your own stuff and you're making a cbd and like the the actual amount at any particular time doesn't matter as much as you making sure you take it four times a day and making sure you get a daily dose. Well, sure, you know, put glycerin or, you know, agave or honey or whatever with your CBD because having each dose be exactly the same, it's not really as big of a deal with CBD. Um, but with THC, it does because if, if you, if you go too high, um, you know, you may get, uh, more THC than you are prepared for that part of your day. Another thing that's great about tincture um, when it's in ethanol is that it's uh, shelf stable, right? And so for a lot of patients, um, you don't have an opportunity to make tincture all the time. You might grow your 
few outdoor plants every summer. And then you're going to want to, you know, you'll, you'll choose to process that in the tincture and that tincture needs to last you a whole year. And, um, you know, uh, cannabis oil and tincture in ethanol are both, you know, quite shelf stable if you keep them out of the sun and cool. Um, and uh, cannabis oil specifically does pretty well in the crisper. Um, but if you're putting your, uh, you know, you don't have to do that with the tincture as much because of the ethanol. Um, you can either just store it in a mason jar in a dark closet or um, if you if you want to stay keep strict controls over your use, you can put it into one ounce tincture bottles that you can pick up online for places from places like SpecialtyBottle.com, and then just you know um, fill those bottles for yourself, label them, and put them away. And for a lot of people, um, managing their tincture use that way is very visual because you know like okay, I've got I've made thirty bottles. And this has got to last me the year. And so you you can just see them in the box. And as the box gets lower, you've got a really good um, visual example of of how much you've got left. And uh, <laughs> and you know if, if you should be getting nervous and maybe figuring out where to get some more flour to make some more. Or uh, more hopefully, you're just re- you know, reinforcing the peace of mind that you are a self-sufficient cannabis patient and, and you can take care of yourself and you've got what you need. So that's great. Another thing that's great about tincture is uh, being able to uh, control and fine-tune your dosing. So with the cannabis oil that we talked about and certainly with smoke, smoking, um, with cannabis oil, because the oil is concentrated, um, it's harder to hit low numbers. So, um, you know, most of the time when I'm talking to patients, if they, if they, if their need is only for five or 10 milligrams of, um, of THC, it makes sense that they are going to use a tincture because a tincture, uh, you can, you can get it down to, you know, number of drops out of the dropper if you want. Whereas with oil, you know, which is essentially the resin without the ethanol that's in the tincture, um, you know, it's kind of hard to, um, extract resin from a plant that's high in THC and get your doses dose down to five or ten milligrams. You know, you might you might um, you know at 0. 0.05 milliliter, which is a usually one of the the smallest markings on a syringe. You might already be up to like seventeen milligrams of THC. And so, when it comes to THC, um, I'm usually recommending that new patients to THC focus on tincture. But if you have a very significant ailment and your um, your your tolerance is very high because you're taking a whole bunch of THC every day, well, you've probably graduated up to cannabis oil. Now that that's different if we're talking about CBD and CBG, where um, you know if we're gonna if we're gonna grow a plant that has CBG, we we might use tincture so that we can have make it last longer. But in most cases, you're, you'll probably make an oil. Um, because, and then just make caps with, you know, 0.05 in it, um, because it's just more convenient and you don't have to use, keep the, the ethanol in the tincture bottles and you can pre-make a whole bunch of capsules because the difference, you know, whether or not you take five, 10 or 20 milligrams of CBG 
Um, it won't end up in you potentially getting intoxicated like it would if you were taking THC. So, um, you know, when I make my CBG caps, um, I'm a little more casual about it. When I make my THC caps, I'm very exacting because I don't want to accidentally over-medicate myself. But if I'm making CBG caps, well, you know, I might watch TV while I'm doing it or something, right? Because um, if I squirt a little bit extra in, um, it's 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 not really going to be um, you know bad in any way. I might be a little wasteful, um, but it, but it, but it's not going to make me super stoned. And so, um, this is one of the reasons why tinctures are good because um, once you have once you've got test results and you know how much is in one um one dropper of your tincture if if you want to take a little bit less less one day or a little bit more another day you can totally make those changes on the fly and it gives your you, you as a patient a lot of control and and that's what you know that's what we want um some days you might wake up and you know you have to go to a doctor's appointment and so you want to go a little bit more conservative on how much THC tincture that you take cuz you know that you're going to have to interact with people in an hour or something or maybe drive there right um but but on another day you may have slept really badly and you are experiencing um your ailment significantly and you don't have anywhere to go and you might triple your dosage cuz you're like you know, all I'm going to be able to do today is, um, sit on the couch and, you know, try to, try to not be miserable. Well, you know, that gives you that kind of flexibility. If you've already made all of your oil into capsules, well, you know, unless you've made different potency capsules, all your capsules are going to be the same strength. And so that is a great reason that, um, you know, tincture can be a superior choice for patients. So let's talk about edibles. So um, edibles have got a place, but I got to admit that I am not the biggest fan of edibles except for specific kinds of patients. And um, first, I'll talk a little bit about um, why I tend to recommend cannabis oil and tincture over edibles. But then we'll also talk about why edibles are the perfect thing for particular patients. So first of all, um, edibles are usually non-homogenized and um, or, or poorly homogenized, right? Um, which means either either at home or at a, a at a licensed um, cannabis bakery, they are infusing an oil, a fat, a butter um, with cannabis, either the uh, the flour or an oil of, or some or an isolate, I guess, and um, and they're mixing that into the oil, and then you add that oil to your recipe of whatever you're making for for. For the sake of this discussion, let's say that they're making brownies, since that's so traditional. And so you mix it into your brownies, and then you bake your brownies. And 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 you know, most of us who have been you know using cannabis for a few decades, we've all had the experience where you make a batch of brownies, and the first brownie you have is a, a different strength than the fifth brownie, which is a different strength than the tenth brownie, right? Because it's kind of just luck of the draw where how much oil ends up at different parts of the brownie pan. And so you could eat one and it could, you know, you, you are, you're like, okay, I know that if I eat, the, you know, a half a brownie, that's about the right amount. And then you go to eat a different brownie and that half a brownie actually has got a whole lot more oil on it just 
from luck, you know, from randomness. And now suddenly you're like, you know, really high and you need to go lay down and you're like, damn, um, I really thought that all those brownies were going to be the same strength. And that is very, very hard to do with baked goods, um, especially in the home, right? Like, like this primarily happens when people share the cookies or whatever that they make at their house. And, um, you know, they're, they're moving along and they, they just mix the brownie mix or whatever, um, until it gets the right consistency. Well, it being the right consistency may not be, also homogenized and suddenly now you're making brownies that where each one you have is a lottery ticket to being too stoned. So, um, uh, that is, that is one significant issue with edibles. Now, now certainly in the commercial markets where they are increasingly using, um, isolate and they have more control over their processes. Um, you know, there are a lot of these 10 milligram, uh, gummies, for example, they're quite you know, homogenized, um, you know, unless any company that's got a worthwhile lab and kitchen is doing a pretty good job putting those together. So there's not huge swings. Um, but that's not true, man. You, you get a, you get a company that's, that's newer or have less, less experienced employees, um, or, you know, what's happening as, you know, some states go medical, right? Cause you get all these people who are trying to go professional for the first time and they, they, they made, they made edibles at home, right? For their and, and now they're suddenly trying to scale up, but they haven't learned their lessons and best practices yet. And so suddenly you've got a new company in a medical market that's putting out edibles with wild swings um, with their potency. And, you know, they'll get complaints and they'll get best practices. And, you know, eventually with time, they'll be more consistent. But if you're buying from them at a medical shop, you know, early on in your state's process, uh, chances are very high that you're, you're going to get something that's got a certain level of risk to it. So that's homogenization. Also, um, for many of the patients that I talk to, um, they're not in a position to be taking on these extra sugars and flowers and artificial colors and sometimes even artificial flavorings that edibles have. Um, especially if you are, um, you know, an advanced patient and you need edibles, you know, four times a day. Oh my gosh. Like, let's go back to the brownie example. Like, like you shouldn't be having a brownie four times a day or a cookie or probably a gummy. And, um, and, you know, you may decide for you that that's okay. And that's cool. Like we're all our own empowered patients, but I'm talking about general best practices. And generally speaking, the edibles that are, are available, you're not going to be wanting to eat them four times a day, or maybe even every evening before you go to bed, right? If you're taking it for insomnia. So you got to be really aware of, of the, you know, what your cannabinoids are encapsulated in, right? Are they, are they surrounded by, you know, sugars and GMO flowers? Um, certainly there are really healthy, um, whole plant resin edibles out there. They exist, but, um, they, they almost always cost more because they're made with quality food products. And, um, and you know, they might not have them by you. Um, 
So the next thing we're going to talk about is the delayed effect due to digesting, right? So um, in in our first example, when we were talking about smoking at top, one of the great things about smoking is that it comes on so fast. You've got all, you know, you, you're peaking on your cannabinoids in your, in your bloodstream at, you know, 10 to 15 minutes in. Um, that's super fast, right? Um, edibles are the opposite, right? Because uh, you're going to chew it up and then you're going to swallow it and then it hits your gut and then it goes through your liver and then now it's in your um blood and so it comes on um you know most people say between 30 to 45 minutes but for but everybody should be aware that sometimes you do get a a, a sneaker edible and it takes a while for your body to process it maybe maybe you had a, a meal earlier and so the edible is actually behind all the other food that's got to go through you and so yeah sometimes it does take 2 hours but eh, you know that's 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 pretty rare compared to like 30 to 45 minutes um and so if you need relief now waiting for 45 minutes may not be the right solution for you so that's something you got to weigh for yourself uh, and your own needs um also one thing that's interesting about it is that um, when THC goes through the liver, it changes to 11-hydroxy THC in the liver, um, which means that you know even though we're you know we're, we're talking about cannabis and even though we're talking about THC, it's really a different form, and it um, it feels different. It acts differently on the body. And so this is probably um, where the the best benefit of edibles comes from, because there are certain patients um, I would put at the top of the the list: um, uh, uh, pain patients, um, rheumatoid arthritis patients, and um, uh, pr- pretty much any of the inflammation uh, diseases. Lots of um, uh, immune compromised folks, they find that the 11 hydroxy THC experience that comes from an edible is far superior to them than a Delta nine THC, um, preparation. And, um, so you'll have to find this out for yourself. Um, you know, 11 hydroxy THC is, not going to be the choice for most patients, but for those that it works better for, um, they become very serious about their edible consumptions and making sure that they are finding the edible that they can make homogenized, that is low in sugar, that they can eat the smallest amount of edible and get the more profound effect. Um, and it, and it really does become something that the patients are dedicated to. So, um, so yeah, sometimes 11 hydroxy THC is the is the way to go. And you'll just have to if you are that patient, you will you will come to that realization yourself. I just want to let you know that it's there. So, um so that's edibles, right? Um a a very common way to take THC. Um but also probably not necessarily the best for most patients if you're going to be taking it every day because you can take a tincture or a cannabis oil um, that's not going to have any of those extra sugars and flowers and colors. Oh my.
Okay, the last one we're going to talk about is suppositories. And, uh, you know, suppositories are not used all that much um, because usually, um, um, you know, taking your cannabinoids orally is going to be appropriate for just about everybody. Um, but I have certainly worked with patients who came to me because they were having problems uh, taking their cannabis oil orally because they had something going on that was, um, uh, you know, chronic and dastardly with their gut. Um, say for example, that their, their gut was dysregulated and they were not creating, um, digestion enzymes properly. And so, um, you know, putting anything into their gut was a really bad experience. Um, or potentially, um, they have something going on in their gut, so they can't take any fats or oils into their gut. Well, you know, it's true that cannabinoids in cannabis oil are really great for the gut, but if the vehicle is an oily resin from the plant, um, you know, some patients, they can't be taking any oil into their gut. And so, or else, you know, it, it causes, um, you know, lots of grief and suffering. So, so that might be a case as well. Um, I'm sure that there are other ones that I haven't come across, right? Like, you know, potential uh, ulcers or lacerations in the gut that, that, you know, you might not want to get oil in as well. Um, but for some people, they, they need to uh, skip the gut. Um, <clears throat> also, there, there are some other uh, ailments that, that suppositories are just a great idea for. For example, um, for menstrual cramping, right? For menstrual cramping, um, you can use a suppository either in the rectum or in the vagina, and um, you will get more targeted placement of the cannabinoids to relieve your symptoms. Um, if you are going to put cannabis oil in um, a vagina, be really careful about the amount you use um, because you don't want to throw off the pH and, and cause other issues. Um, luckily, we don't really have the same kind of uh, pH issues uh, for the rectum. Um, also, rectal cancer, right? If you are, uh, you know, if you are dealing with uh, uh, tumors or or of such um, in the rectum, uh, placing the cannabis oil right there um, um, is going to increase the level of you know, targeting that you can do for it. And then also if you've got like, you know, just general hip pains, right? If you've got, if you've got pains or discomfort in, you know, in the area between say your belly button and your thighs, right? Like that whole area, applying it to the rectum may be a solution that works for you. Now, granted, most people are going to take it orally and it can work great, but, um, you know, this is for you to decide because every patient works out their own pro protocol in the end. Um, you, you, you know, you, you learn these things from people who have done it before you, like I have, but you know, you do this for two weeks and now you're going to become the expert on your body. And that's what we're, that's what, you know, good cannabis educators are going to do is give you all of the options and say, choose what works for you. Um, instead of saying, all right, I have the solution for all patients because, um, you know, each patient is unique, just like growing, um, different types of cannabis are unique, you know, uh, and, uh, and we need to, we need to treat each person, um, in a way that works the best for them. 
So um, if, if you've decided that suppositories are something that, um, that might be appropriate for you, there's lots of great kits out there for making your own at home uh, on, for example, eBay. Um, uh, they, they sell these little molds um, that mold them into like a, like a little suppository, like a football, you know, and um, there's a bunch of different recipes uh, that you can, um, that you can use. Some people use shea butter, some people use coconut oil, some people use a combination along with a little bit of uh, full extract cannabis oil. And, um, you know, people find what they like. Some people won't use shea at all because they don't care for it. Uh, some people will have different uh, percentages of each, right? Um, and so what you do is you, you, would, you would make up, you'd fill up these little molds with whatever you're going to put in your suppository, and then you put them in the freezer, right? And then they get hard, and then you pop them out like ice cubes out of an ice cube tray. And, um, and then when, when it's time to dose, you just like pop one of those out of the freezer and you, you put it where you're going to put it. And, um, um, you know, it's, you might be cold for a moment, but, uh, it doesn't last long. It's not like they're that big. And, um, and then it, it melts where you put it. And so, um, that can be a really great win for, um, a lot of folks. Um, that said, it doesn't have to be that much work. Um, when I was first learning about suppositories and practicing with them so that um, I could um, teach it to patient groups, um, I went through that whole process and I'm like, oh my God, this is so much work. And, um, you know, it's so like kind of oily and everything on my fingers. Um, in the end, um, you know, I realized that you can also just take a boring cellulose cap that um that you would use for cannabis oil you know up in the cannabis oil section when we talked about that you can just put your your cannabis oil in a cellulose cap and put that in your rectum too i don't think i would do that vaginally um i haven't had that experience um but but um but in your rectum it works and um you know the 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 fluid or that's in your rectum will break down the the cap and and then you will you'll you'll get the oil through the the rectal wall, rectum wall and that works um you know, um, but you know, most people do recommend against it just because it's, it's kind of inelegant, but, um, but you know, if you're, if you're, if you're a serious cannabis patient and you are already to the point that you need to be taking suppositories, you are probably, um, doing what you need to do and don't really care about elegance anyway. Um, so by the time you're at that point, you're doing what you need to do to not suffer. But, you know, there is there, there are the great options because, uh, you know, there is nothing as luxurious as a shea butter and coconut oil suppository. <laughs> but but, you know, if you don't have the time for that um, or or the money for the inputs, um, putting it in a, uh, a vegan cellulose cap <laughs> works as well. Um, all right. So that, that was a great topic to end this set on. Um, so, uh, so my goal at this point in the show was for you to have, um, a really solid understanding of the different methods, um, of, 
cannabis uh, intake and a good picture for yourself of the endocannabinoid system, why we are taking cannabis at all. So on from this platform, um, we will now in the second set um, uh, go into uh, specific cannabinoids and understanding the amount of each that we would want to take um, to reach different effects. So we're going to go ahead and take a short break and be right back. You are listening to the 100th episode of Shaping Fire, and I am Shango Lose. Without these advertisers, Shaping Fire would not happen. So please support them and let them know you heard them on Shaping Fire. One of the reasons why no-till cannabis growing is so valued by farmers is because the mycelium networks in the soil remain established from year to year. And we know these fungal networks are essential because they are the nutrient superhighways that extend far and wide in the substrate to feed your plants. The trouble with growing in new living soils or blended cocoa substrates is that it takes most of the plant's life just to create these mycelium highways. Dynomyco endomycorrhizal fungi inoculant reduces that time and gets your plant eating a wider array of nutrients faster. And it's three times the concentration of the other popular brand in the U.S. at 900 propagules per gram of two fungal species selected specifically for cannabis cultivation. Dynomyco is the result of 30 years of research and trials at the Volcani Agriculture Research Institute in Israel. It has also been vigorously trialed by cannabis and food growers across the U.S. Dynomyco is now available at grow shops and on Amazon in the United States. I love using Dynomyco to both speed up the growth of the mycelium networks in the soil, but also as a biostimulant to make clone cuttings more virile. You can see side-by-sides showing the comparative growth on their Instagram at Dynomyco. If you demand reliable growing results and appreciate the importance of an active root zone in creating a thriving plant, I encourage you to check out Dynomyco.com and use the store locator to find out where you can get yours. That's D-Y-N-O-M-Y-C-O dot com. Shaping Fire listeners can get 10% off any size of Dynamico on Amazon or Dynamico.com by using the discount code SHAPINGFIRE, one word, no caps. Whether you are starting with new beds or pots, or if you want to add some zing to tired soil, choose Dynamico to maximize your plant's potential. Dynamico Endomycorrhizal Inoculant. Online cannabis seed distributors often seem to be all the same, but Multiverse Beans constantly works to provide you with cannabis seeds and a buying experience that you won't find elsewhere. Multiverse Beans works directly with the breeders to secure as many packs of your favorites as possible so that they have your favorite beans long after others have sold out. Some shops simply buy breeder minimums, but I get messages all the time from breeders saying some version of Multiverse asked to buy my entire run. At MultiverseBeans.com, you can find rare cannabis seeds from Night Owl Seeds, including the Dark Owl sublabel. Mephisto Genetics, Square One Genetics, Robin Hood Seeds, and Ethos, and so many others. Multiverse also initiates projects with breeders to secure exclusive packs that you simply won't find elsewhere. Multiverse founder Paul Lal sees himself not only as a curator of the best cannabis seeds available, but also as a collaborator with breeders, trying to bring novel crosses to the market that his customers are asking for. Multiverse Beans also creates exclusive stickers for their popular seed varieties that are available free only when you order those seeds from Multiverse. 
Check out their stickers like the badass recent slap for Mothman by Gnome Automatics on Instagram at Multiverse Beans. And finally, the freebies. As you'd expect, Paul sends quality freebies with every order. And when you spend at least $150, Multiverse allows you to choose your freebies from their special selections. You can get a 10% discount off regularly priced items when you use the discount code SHAPINGFIRE, all one word, at checkout. Sign up for their mailing list to be eligible for their monthly seed giveaway worth $250. So go to multiversebeans.com now for a buying experience you won't get anywhere else. For years, organic cultivators have been looking for a peat moss replacement. Peat moss has long been the go-to soil amendment for water retention and container growing, but organic growers are recognizing now that peat moss is an unsustainable resource, and the mining of peat bogs destroys wetland habitats and releases sequestered carbon. But peat moss works so well that many have continued to use it. Now there is finally a revolutionary replacement for peat moss that provides better benefits while being a sustainable choice. Pit moss sounds and acts like peat moss, but instead of being mined from fragile ecosystems, is actually made from upcycled organic paper and cardboard headed for landfills. Pit moss is excellent at retaining water in your substrate and creating air pockets and tiny living environments for microbes. Pit moss instantly increases aeration, nutrient absorption, and water conservation too. Carefully and locally sourced, Pit moss is the result of decades-long research into the use of recycled paper fibers. Pit moss is lightweight and easy to use, and pit moss is inert, so it won't change your pH. Available in a range of preparations, including a nutrient-enhanced blend and an organic soil conditioner with no added nutrients. Pit moss is also available as an animal bedding for horses, chickens, and small animals. You can save 15% with the discount code SHAPINGFIRE, one word, no caps, when shopping on pitmoss.com. So go to pitmoss.com now to learn more. That's P-I-T-T-M-O-S-S dot com. Growing healthier, stronger, more sustainable plants. Pitmoss. Welcome back. You are listening to the 100th episode of Shaping Fire, and I am your host, Shangolos. During the first set, we talked about the endocannabinoid system, made sure you had a decent understanding of that. And then we talked about the different methods of getting cannabinoids into your body. And so you're starting to get an idea of how your body functions and the different ways that we can add the cannabinoids um, to meet your particular needs um, as a cannabis patient. So now on um, set two, what we're going to talk about is um, the specific dosing um, for particular cannabinoids that are commonly available and that we have actually got some decent research on. So, you know, I'm not going to go through all of the cannabinoids that exist because some of them we barely know anything about yet. Um, however, um, we do know quite a bit about uh, THC and CBD. And we know a bit about CBG. And so we are going to cover those. And the idea is that, you know, with those three, you can get well on your way to uh, relieving your symptoms. And, and also, once you understand how to think about individual cannabinoids, as new cannabinoids become popular and the research starts to come out, um, you'll, you'll have a good idea of how to think through bringing a new cannabinoid into, um, you know, your health protocol. 
So, you know, we have to start with a conversation about isolates and whole plant um, resin. Um, I would have originally, and I would have in the old days say like whole plant resin versus isolates because historically I have not been a fan of isolates. But um, over time, as the quality from some distributors have increased and um, you know some people don't have access to certain novel cannabinoids, um, it does. there is a place for isolates in the health program of many cannabis patients. And so I really can't um, justify writing them off anymore, um, though it's very important to know what their good uses are and where their limitations are. So, so first of all, let's um, let's go back a little bit. So, historically, people s- sought whole plant cannabinoids simply because um, it was the only thing that existed. I mean, the people took the plant and they used the resin as they got it off the plant, either by smoking the plant or or uh, mechanically removing the trichomes and making hash. Um, or, you know, as, as, uh, solvents were developed, um, mixing it with, uh, ethanol alcohol. Um, so whole plant was like the whole deal, but as technology evolved, um, the creation of isolates became possible and pharmaceutical companies were very interested in isolating these compounds so that they could study them for potential future healing products in the future. And, um, you know, if you're not familiar with the term isolate, the isolate just means a single molecule of the cannabinoids. So, so one single molecule of THC or one single molecule of CBD. Whereas in a whole plant resin, you're getting a melange of, of different um, cannabinoids and flavonoids and, you know, fats and all these other things that, that make for this particular synergy, which works so well with the human body. So, you know, the first time I saw that there was a really good uh, reason to consider CBD isolate was in the early days of CBD before CBD plants were available just anywhere. Um, there was a time, you know, not too long ago, let's see, um, let's call it like seven or eight years ago, um, where people started wanting CBD, but getting your hands on on plants that were bred with CBD was, was pretty challenging, unless you lived in California, you know, and you were, you were getting them from folks there who were intentionally trying to spread them out. And so um, we got to a point where people wanted CBD and they especially wanted CBD in their cannabis oil concentrate, but it just wasn't to be had in any kind of significant dosage. And so uh, companies started filling that void by extracting CBD single molecule isolate from the cannabis plant and selling that separately as a powder. And you know, like I said, I was pretty uh, pretty against that at the time as as being an over processed product. Um, but after I got over myself and realized that you know you didn't have to take CBD powder alone, and and we would eventually find out that CBD powder is helpful for some applications. That the important thing was people should have the understanding that they can spike their regular THC dominant cannabis oil with CBD to expand the benefits a great deal. And I, uh, I remember speaking first with Dr. Sunil Agarwal at the uh, Washington Cannabis Conference. I asked him while he was speaking whether or not he thought that spiking THC dominant cannabis oil with CBD to make it slightly more whole plant, right? Since, since CBD 
CBD used to be in uh, land race plants, but we progressively bred it out over the years. So our cannabis plants were stronger in THC. So, you know, a, a land race, a natural plant actually has a lot more CBD in it than, um, than the bread plants that, that are, are used for more recreational, um, uh, use nowadays. And he said, yeah, he's all like, he said, that would make sense to me, uh, to him, Dr. Sunil Agarwal. And he said that, um, you know, until, until more plants can be evolved that have a significant amount of CBD in them and they can be distributed across the country. If you can get CBD isolate, go ahead and, and, and add that into your brew when you are making making your, um, your THC dominant RSO or cannabis oil. And I was caught off guard, but I considered myself, um, you know, smarter for it. And then, um, on an episode with Dr. Ethan Russo about five years ago, I asked him the same question. He said, yeah, yeah. You know, if if you, if you need CBD and you can't find whole plant CBD, well, go ahead and, and take the isolate and then spike your, your cannabis oil because your THC dominant cannabis oil will have the THC, of course, plus it'll have a whole bunch of those other, you know, um, flavonoids and canaflavin and, and, and novel cannabinoids in trace amounts. And then you're adding a, um, you know, heaping dose of CBD from the isolate. And while, um, everyone agreed that, that when possible, it's always better to just extract the plant and take the plant as is. Um, you know, we don't live in a perfect world and sometimes you need to, sometimes you need to spike your oil with a cannabinoid you need. So, um, so another thing that's uh, interesting to consider when comparing um, isolates and whole plant is that in the early days of cannabis research, they were doing cannabis research with the whole plant resin, right? And so the early studies that you can look up when you when you read what they were using and, and how they actually performed it, um, they were extracting a, uh, a THC dominant resin and experimenting with that. But as um, you know, creeping normalization started and and companies, pharmaceutical companies started um, uh, considering what pharmaceutical products they were going to make out of it, well, suddenly the medical study, study scientific studies started uh, focusing more on isolate because you know the two main advantages of isolate are that number one, you do isolate the molecule, and so you can be sure um, for repeatability of results because um, you can you, know, you can make that isolate molecule discrete from all the other components that are usually in resin. And then second, you can't, um, you can't patent the plant, but if they made a medicine and they made it out of isolate, uh, well, then they would be able to patent that and call it a product and sell it, which is how you get products like Sativex. So, um, so if you look at the, uh, if you look at the scientific studies now, they are much more dominantly using isolate now um, to varying results. And, um, and and one thing we know is generally you need to take a whole lot more isolate to get the same kind of results that you normally get with a whole plant resin. And, uh, and that when you take isolate, um, it, your efficacy goes up to a point and then it plateaus. Whereas, um, when you take whole plant because of all the synergistic materials, um, generally speaking, the more you take, the more reaction you're going to get.
It's worthwhile to note too that uh, whether or not you want to use isolates or a whole plant often just depends on how much money you've got. Um, there is no question that isolate is far more affordable than a whole plant resin. Um, you know, your mileage may vary with it, but if, if it's what you can afford and it happens to give you benefit, well then, you know, you should definitely go for it. Um, it's really interesting um, as the market for cannabis medicines and other fun products evolve, how odd the, the price ratios work. So so, for example, um, whole plant resin is very expensive compared to isolate single molecule. And so, you know, you need to have enough money to be able to afford the resin. And when it comes to CBD resin, most patients, their dosage is as much as they can actually afford because they always want more. And so in this case, the, the resin is very expensive and the isolate is very inexpensive. However, in contrast, if you are a cancer patient and you are trying to use um, THC to straight up beat the cancer and you're taking a 90-day THC protocol versus doing chemo, well, suddenly now a THC cannabis oil is very affordable, right? Because, you know... Spending fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars for um, sixty syringes to take over ninety days um, is very affordable versus a round of chemo and all the associated costs with that. So, you know, um, we can't jump to any conclusions about this is you know cannabis medicine is so expensive or cannabis medicine is so cheap or don't use this or don't. We really need to think it through for each patient, what their unique needs are and what their financial capabilities are. So yet another reason why, you know, we really don't want to just group cannabis patients into big buckets and tell them what's good for everybody because, because each patient is really unique. All right. With that discussion of whole plant resin versus isolates um, past us, um, let's go ahead and talk about um, the first cannabinoid we want to talk about in detail. And uh, that, of course, is the very popular THC. And by that, I mean Delta 9 THC, tetrahydrocannabinol. And so this is the one that, um, you know, people have known about um, forever. And it's the one that if you take enough, um, you can get intoxicated. Um, they're referring to that as a euphoric um, but you don't have to take that much. And for most of the things that patients need, um, you do not need to take uh, enough that that you will necessarily get high. But, but let's talk about in, in detail. So a THC strongly activates the CB1 receptors in the body and the endocannabinoid system, triggering a feeling of euphoria. And this activation also increases the blood, blood flow to the prefrontal cortex in the front of your brain, which is the area that controls your ability to focus as well as your motor skills and attention and memory and like your, your ability to make decisions. And then THC also interacts with CB2 receptors, uh, providing the, the analgesic or pain relieving effect, um, also giving muscle relaxation and animatic effects, which is like helping with nausea and vomiting. When we're thinking about THC dosing, we have to be really aware that there are two different time frames for THC. You've got what can THC help with me today and what will THC help me with over, over the time. So the short-term effects of THC are, number one, it's an analgesic that uh, lessens and softens your experience of the pain. Um, it's a distractant, and meaning that you forget about your ailment and you can focus on other things for a while, like you know working 
cooking or caring for the kids or focusing on a fun activity. And, um, you know, when I say it's a distractant, it, it, it kind of just makes you forget about the thing that you are suffering from, which is why it's especially good for PTSD patients, right? They can set aside their, their memories of a trauma or of a war zone or of a, or a bad experience and for a moment be distracted by the use of the THC, which allows them to do other things that give their life um, value. And so, and, and honestly, that's one of the odd additional ways that THC is an analgesic because like not only does it soften your experience of the pain and kind of turn down the volume, but then it distracts you from it as well. And so THC actually helps with pain in, in two different modes. It's also an anti-inflammatory, and so um, this is used a lot by people who are experiencing, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or you know just regular arthritis or uh, swelling or inflammation of the joints. Uh, so in the in the short term, once you take some THC. Those will go down temporarily as part of the short-term effects. We'll talk about that more in the longer-term effects. Um, as mentioned, it's also an animimetic, um, meaning that it decreases nausea. It's a muscle relaxant, which, which decreases spasticity. And, and, and if you're unfamiliar with that, that is the, the, the involuntary clenching of your muscles that make your body feel all tight and stuff. And, and we can apply this to lots of different types of patients, right? Um, Parkinson's patients uh, who um, have got got tremors. Uh, also Parkinson's patients who start to get crampy and they, they start to um, hunch over. Um, people who have got pain pretty much anywhere in their body because very often the other side of their body starts to clench in response to the side that you're trying to um, keep safe, right? You're trying to keep one side of your body um, out of harm's way, which means that your other side of your body is doing more work and those muscles uh, tend to get tight and annoyed. Um, and then and also, when you have muscles that are relaxed, it decreases your experience of stress. I mean, so often with stress, we again, we clench our body. And as soon as we're like, ah, and you can kind of like open up and your muscles feel relaxed, um, your anxiety will go down with it. And the THC, THC can um, help with that as well. And then finally, it can help with sleep due to relaxation. Because if you're having a hard time sleeping because you're stressed out and tight and in your pain, um, you add some THC and suddenly your muscles are relaxed and your pain is turned down and you're kind of distracted from it. And um, some varieties of THC can cause drowsiness and lethargy, well, boom, there you go. It's going to help with, um, with your sleep now. And that lethargy can be used for other things too, or combined with other things. So if, if you were to get a, a THC plant that also is high in terpenes like myrcene or linalool, which are both relaxing, um, you're, you're really setting up a good combination for somebody who has insomnia, especially if their insomnia is compounded by discomfort when they're trying to um, go to sleep. It's also uh, really good for people who are, uh, who have just had surgery because so many of us after we've had surgery we're like okay i'm feeling better i want to like start moving around the house and we're like no you're supposed to stay in that bed for a week and, and like i'm supposed to bring you food and and people start to get antsy but if you give them some some cannabis tincture well you know they can they can enjoy that lethargy take more naps and like you know be more easily entertained with like color book uh, coloring books and crosswords and word searches and stuff stuff that just like keeps them in bed so their body can heal. 
And the last short-term effect of THC I'm going to hit here is um, as an appetite uh, stimulant. And, you know, we can all joke about getting the munchies, and, and sometimes it is very funny. And sometimes it's dangerous because we eat all of our food. But um, but for folks who actually are having a difficulty eating, um, perhaps because they are going through, um, you know, a cancer treatment or some other kind of treatment that um, suppresses the appetite, or they're depressed or, or anything that's going to decrease the appetite. Um, very often, if you use cannabis, well, suddenly um, you're feeling snacky um, because THC interacts with the hunger part of the brain. And also, uh, THC um, makes food taste better and smell better. And so you're more likely to uh, to smell or you know smell food being made in the other room and start to salivate. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm actually hungry. And so, uh, so those are the short-term effects of THC. So there are additional benefits for specific ailments, but this this list gives you a good understanding of the most commonly used benefits of THC, and and one or more of these are, are probably appropriate for you or the patient that you're working with. So, so those are all the things that THC will do for you now, today, as soon as you take it. So now when taken over time from once a day to twice a day or more for a few weeks, these daily benefits start to stack up. Um, one of those reasons is a decrease in chronic inflammation, right? If, if you're taking THC and in that moment, you're pushing back the inflammation a little bit. If you continue to do that over time, you will be decreasing your overall inflammation, not just decreasing it a little bit for, for the next four hours, but if you decrease it now and then you take THC again in four hours and then you take it again in four hours and then you do that tomorrow, you can um, decrease your, I guess, standard inflammation that your body has, uh, which buys you some time to decrease your discomfort while you are trying to figure out what is causing your inflammation and and decreasing those and decrease those causes. Um, the second long term THC benefit that I will tell you is probably the one that's the most important, and that is uh, apoptosis. Um, THC kills cancer cells, and um, it's very interesting to watch it happen in a Petri dish. A, a THC molecule come up against a cancer cell and and burst its sidewall um which I swear has got to be the word where the term apoptosis comes from. And, um, and it kills the cancer cell. And so, you know, if you just took, um, THC today, um, you know, it would kill some cancer cells and that's great. And that's why a lot of people use it as a, um, you know, some a preventative for cancer, because if there are any cancer cells in your body, the THC will hopefully mop them up while they're still small. But if you are taking THC every day, you're, 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 you're killing cancer cells now, and then you're killing more in four hours, and then more in four hours, and then more in four hours, and then you sleep, and then you do it again tomorrow. And so as you start to stack these days um, next to each other, um, suddenly you are decreasing the size of tumors and other forms of cancer. And and we have seen significant, um, you know, both scientific and anecdotal evidence that this works for a great many people on a variety of cancers. And so... Um, you know, uh, hopefully there will be another episode like this where, um, where I'll be doing it solo and I can, I can lay out the, um, 
you know, the entire application of, of the cancer protocol. But uh, for now, just understand that it causes apoptosis and it's a great thing to take as a preventative. And finally, um, kind of in the same category as the, as the appetite stimulant that's a short-term effect, long-term, um, you can get weight gain from the appetite. And, and so for people who have got like a wasting disease or they're just losing weight long-term because they're depressed, well, over, you know, the, the, the munchies that you have today and tomorrow and the third day, they start to add up and you start putting weight on and, and hopefully start feeling better. So, okay. So, um, now that we've kind of got an idea of what the short term effects are and the longer term effects of taking uh, THC generally, um, let's start about talking about some real specifics of, of the amounts, the, the milligrams that we're talking about when taking THC. So um, the first benchmark we want to look at is um, a generally a sub-perceptible dosage of 2.5 milligrams. Now, at 2.5 milligrams, um, you really shouldn't feel it at all. It would be it would be a surprise if your patient felt it. Now, um, they may have anxiety about it, and so they may think that they're feeling it um, because placebo is a strong thing. Um, but generally, at 2.3, unless unless somebody is exceptional sensitive, they're not going to feel it yet. So 2.5 is, is generally pretty safe for most people um, who are either um, scared of the intoxication experience or they've got control issues and they don't like to feel like they are in any way um, out of control. Or perhaps they had a really negative um, THC high when they were younger and they just never want to feel that again. And yet they need THC for some reason. And so for these people, we start them off at uh, 2.5. 0.5 uh, milligrams, which honestly, though the most of us who use cannabis regularly w- might scoff at 2.5. If you're taking 2.5 milligrams of THC three to four times a day, every three to four hours, and you're doing that every day, you are going to see tremendous results with your arthritis and, and other sorts of inflammatory um, issues um, that just need to be addressed every day in a small amount and not today in a large amount. So, so don't rule out, um, 2.5 milligrams. Uh, it can also be used to, you know, create appetite and, uh, to a lesser extent, but it is true to uh, give you a little bit of muscle relaxation for just like physical comfort. So that, that would be our first, our first benchmark is 2.5 milligrams, but, but five milligrams is where most people start to feel it in some way. Um, it's often compared to one glass of wine for most people. And this is this five milligrams is a, is the baseline dose for most cannabis patients. Once patients get comfortable here, um, many to most will move up to 10 milligrams if they also like the feeling of it being a slight euphoric, right? Because if, if the job that you need is getting done at five milligrams, but if you take 10 milligrams and it's also pleasurable, well, well, you know, a lot of people go to that 10 milligram mark pretty quickly, um, just because they're like, well, if if my medicine can make me feel good, like, okay, let's do that. Um, you'll find that, uh, the majority of, uh, edibles that are sold in, um, medical and licensed recreational shops, um, are 10 milligrams because it it just seems to be a, um, a, a uniform dose that can, 
um, help a wide range of people. And so they'll give you, you know, whatever it is, uh, 10 milligram gummies, 10 milligram cookies, um, 10 milligram gumdrops, you know, like whatever. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll likely give you 10 of those to a package. So there'll be 10 milligrams each, and then they'll be in a package of a hundred milligrams that you can just take yourself. And so, um, at, at this, at this five to 10 area, um, you're going to need to, I mean, if you don't have an experience with cannabis already, um, starting with 10 milligrams might surprise you. And so, um, this is one of the reasons why I recommended, um, tincture earlier in the show, because if, if you have zero experience with cannabis, um, starting with 10 um, milligrams, it might be great, but then also it, it might not be for you. There's, there, there is a lot of variability in folks. And even though 10 milligrams sounds low to people who use cannabis all the time, um, to somebody who's particularly sensitive and they've got a lot of CB1 and CB2 receptors. And so their body takes on a lot of that THC really fast. They could have an uncomfortable, um, you know, dysphoric experience and it happens all the time. So whenever possible, you know, um, perhaps start with a tincture and experiment at 2.5 and 5 and 10 and kind of find out what your appropriate dosage is for what you're trying to take care of. Um, and then, and then to, to understand what the really high end of the numbers look like, um, let's, let's, let's talk about extreme examples. So, so, so if we're talking about like five or 10 milligrams for most folks, if taken regularly, um, in contrast, it's common for cancer patients seeking to beat the cancer to take as much as 750 milligrams of THC of whole plant oil extract every day, divided into three servings of 250 milligrams. So, so we're comparing a potential 10 milligram THC serving to a 250 milligram serving three times a day. That's a whole bunch and actually a devastating amount actually. And, um, you know, you don't start at that, at that dosage, you know, part of the cannabis, uh, cancer protocol is that you tight trade in. So you're starting with, you know, lower amounts and then over, over the weeks, you increase the amount that you're taking with the hope that by the time you're taking 250 milligrams at a time, um, that you've got some amount of THC and awareness of what it is to be high and, and, you know, awareness of what it means to be, um, kind of uncontrollably high. Um, there are certainly people who can handle 250 milligrams, um, you know, no sweat, but the vast majority of people will be absolutely blown out at 250 milligrams to the point that, you know, they could be questioning their sanity, right? Which is, which is why you don't just take 250 milligrams without knowing what you're doing. And in a cancer protocol, why you titrate your, your way in. So you build up over time. It's also important to understand that the, the, the maximum dose of THC that is necessary for a patient is really their call. And even though somebody might not be taking high levels of THC intentionally to cause apoptosis and cancer, there are other very unique patients who take extraordinary amounts of, of THC. Um, you know, my, my, my most significant example is my buddy Nick Risden um, back in Michigan. He's a cannabis and dog breeder. 
who also has Lyme disease. And when I first visited him at his home, uh, I was astonished to see him taking 400 or 500 milligrams of THC in cannabis oil three to four times a day. And I was just astonished as, as he's just like, you know, squirting these syringes into his mouth to, um, to help quell his seizures and ease his pain. And, and, and I was, I was just astonished watching it. And I was actually afraid for him, but he's like, Oh man, no, I do this every day. This is, this is all right. And, and so, you know, this is this is where patients start to really have to grow their own cannabis because being able to afford that much as a patient on the open market is is um, very unrealistic, and so why I always um, you know stand up for for patients having the rights to grow their own and be um, self sufficient. So the next thing we're going to talk about is, um, you know, once you're going over 10 milligrams, you're going to learn how your particular body responds um, from THC and you can move away from dosage guidelines um, like this one, um, because all it's going to take is is a couple of weeks of you uh, taking THC every day and, and you are going to learn what works for you. And so guides like this are to help you understand how to think about cannabis dosing. But once you're doing it, you become the expert for your body because everybody's body really is different. This is why I always recommend that people keep a, uh, a dosing journal of their cannabis use because um, over time you might forget how much you used to take for this or that, or, or you, you might want to look back and see how you try titrated in. Um, also, if, if you're going to bother to tell your doctor about your THC use as, as part of your overall health solution, um, doctors like really dig it. If you can show them that you're taking, that you're, you know, keeping a journal and that you're tracking the stuff. Um, Cause so many doctors are already very suspicious of cannabis medicine, but it, if you can show that you're doing it in a controlled air quotes, responsible way, um, you know, they might be more likely to, to, you know, play with you and, and, and not give you, you know, a hard time about using it. So, um, there are two varieties of black swan patients that we need to talk about before we end this, um, this discussion of, of THC specifically. Um, the first one, um, we're going to talk about our rapid metabolizers. Um, there's a variety of human that just metabolizes everything super fast. And uh, I have worked with these patients and they metabolize THC so fast and, and often mushrooms and LSD, LSD and, um, you know, anything you give them, they, they metabolize it super fast to get almost no effect. And, um, we, we have to know that these folks exist. I, I worked with this one patient who, um, had no experience with cannabis prior and then they decided that they, um, you know, needed to take it for their health. And so they started with, you know, the, you know, the 2.5, 5 milligram, 10 milligram, and like didn't feel anything. And so then moved up to 40 and didn't feel anything. And, and they found that their, um, uh, efficacious dose was actually, um, 80 milligrams of THC at a time. And, and this patient was still like doing stuff around the house and being productive. And it's, it's, it's actually what they needed to take care of their, 
um, their ailment and function like a normal human. But but if you told me that somebody who had only been taking THC for two weeks was already at 80 milligrams, I would fear for them, you know, that they that that they were taking so much that, um, you know, if, if they took that 80 milligram amount that they would have a very bad day. Um, and yet this, this patient just like worked, titrated themselves up over the course of four or five days. And now they sit at 80 milligrams and, you know, that kind of rapid metabolizer is very rare, but if you are a caregiver, you know, it's also important that you know that it exists. And if you are a patient, um, now you have keywords to, um, to search so that you can show your caregivers that yes, you, you, you may require this much THC. Um, the second variety of black swan is that it's estimated that about one in 10,000 patients are wildly sensitive to THC. Um, the point where, you know, only a, a gram or two, or excuse me, a milligram or two is uh, going to give them a very bad experience. And I've only seen this once. Um, uh, a patient uh, reached out to me during their very bad experience. They, they took a, um, a five milligram tincture that they got at the uh, licensed store and they experienced dysphoria, hallucinations, and, and like intense energy for 12 hours from such a small dose. And honestly, I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't first, if I hadn't seen it firsthand and I was familiar with that product and knew that, um, that analytics on it were, were likely right. And, and that, that dose is so small and, and should have such an incredibly small effect, but I, I saw it happen. And so, um, we do need to be aware that on the rare occasion, you can give a very small dose to a patient and they will have an outside, outsized response to it. And, um, uh, they're going to need some support in, you know, just trying to stay calm and feel okay until it wears off, like towards the end of the day. So, um, you know, I hope for you that you don't come across either rapid metabolizers or, or hypersensitive folks to THC because, um, it, it's always a real surprise. And, and as a caregiver, um, you know, you feel so bad for them, you know, because they're, 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 they're trying to do their best with cannabis medicine and now they're like blown out and they've had a really bad experience and, um, and now they, they now they really hate cannabis medicine. So, um, so I, I I hope that um, I hope that you aren't one, and I hope that you don't you know come across them in your work. All right, so let's move on to CBD now. You probably have got a pretty good idea how to work with THC at this point, hopefully. So, so CBD, um, which stands for cannabidiol, uh, it activates the CB1 and CB2 receptors, but to a much lesser extent than THC does. Um, it doesn't cause intoxication, but it's, it's certainly psychoactive. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's not psychoactive. But um, while it, it won't get you high like THC will, um, it is definitely certainly psychoactive in the sense that it can change perceptions by bettering your mood. Um, how CBD exerts its therapeutic impact on a molecular level is still being sorted out. Um, cannabidiol is a pleo pleotropic drug, which I don't usually have much much opportunity to say in that it produces many effects through multiple molecular pathways. The scientific literature has identified more than 65 molecular targets of CBD 
And the study of these pathways has always only just begun. So while we do talk about CBD interacting somewhat with the CB1 and CB2 receptors, it isn't that they oh, just don't interact with receptors. They re- interact with a lot of things, and we're just now trying to you know figure out what those what those other types of of receptors um, might be, what those might look like. CBD is a very active signaling molecule, and it's one of the most useful um, cannabinoids for the endocannabinoid system um, because of this variety of 65-plus targets. Um, It does a lot uh, to support the endocannabinoid system. It feels very much like a utility player, like whatever's needed, you know, know, fill in, you know, phytocannabinoid version of CBD to replace endocannabinoids. And so, it's um it's definitely a workhorse. Um, similar to THC, CBD has benefits now and benefits later. Uh, for certain, THC is more of a help me today cannabinoid, and CBD is a bit more of a help me tomorrow cannabinoid because for most of its applications, it takes time to strengthen the endocannabinoid system. But it's true that CBD two has some today benefits. So so let's let's talk about short term and long term benefits, just like we did with THC. So uh, shorter term benefits of CBD. Number one, the most low hanging fruit: uh, brain chemistry, mood, anxiety, and stress. Um, this is of, of all the things that I tell people. You know, you need to give CBD some time to do its job. When it comes to mood, anxiety, and stress, this is something that it can help you. Um, you know, like within an hour, depending on dose and your receptibility to it. Um, and the reason is, is because cannabidiol stimulates the 5-HT1A serotonin receptor. And so you take it and it goes and it activates it and um, your mood, your brain chemistry will start to even out. Um, as we talked at the top of the show in the first set, the the main goal of the endocannabinoid system is to balance um, the body's other systems. And that is what's, what's happening in this effect. If, if your chemistry has swung one way or another, causing you to be either be, you know, depressed or anxious, um, CBD will help bring you back to the balance place where you can be your best. Um, it is also an antimimetic, an, an anti-nausea like THC is. And when you use them together, they work together to be even more effective. And then CBD binds to, uh, they're called TRPV1 receptors, uh, TRPV1 receptors, which also function as ion channels. And so these TRPV1s are known to mediate pain um, and inflammation and body temperature. But the main thing that people are looking to it for is to mediate pain. So um, CBD, of course, is handling the experience of pain very differently than THC does. And so when people put cannabis all in one bucket on how it helps with pain, um, you you know that they don't really understand the medicine very well because uh, THC, as we've already learned, it helps by being a natural analgesic and decreasing the, the muscle contraction as well as uh, being a distractant, right? Well, CBD in its own way, um, it uh, activates the TRPV1, which mediates the pain perception. So it kind of just like turns down the volume of your experience of it. So when you, again, when you have CBD and THC together, um, they work really well at decreasing pain today. 
So the long-term benefits of CBD are usually what people are going for. Very often, the short-term benefits, people are looking to uh, THC for help, and and they may have heard CBD helps, but but realistically, CBD's um, most effective role is to strengthen the endocannabinoid system so it can do its job, right? And so the longer-term benefits of CBD would be, number one, first and foremost, to strengthen the endocannabinoid system so it can do its job in rebalancing uh, the various body's systems and the body can heal itself. It just needs some more signaling molecules and CBD because it targets these um, 65 uh, different receptors. um, It has a little bit of help for all the different systems. And so it is a great thing to supplement yourself with every day to strengthen your body's ability to take care of itself. CBD also exerts an anti-cancer effect as well, and I won't get too much into the mechanics of it, but but what it does is it it, it has an anti-proliferative effect, which means um, it slows down cancer's ability to replicate itself. And uh, again, if you're taking it every day, over time, uh, you would have uh, the CBD slowing the uh, increase in number of the cancer cells, and and then you'd also have THC coming in and bursting those cells. So they're a very good team in this regard. Um, also, an, another great thing is that um, CBD tends to kick off the body's housekeeping mechanisms. And so it is t- helping take care of, of things that... If, if allowed to go neglected over a long term, um, can get especially worse. So for example, um, uh, when you take CBD... Um, it activates the PPAR gamma, which degrades the amyloid beta plaque in the brain. And when this plaque builds up, it is linked to the development of Alzheimer's disease. And so when you are taking CBD as a uh, prophylactic, like daily, just so things don't get bad or worse for you, you are actually staving off a, a, a certain amount of potential of Alzheimer's in the future. Uh, we've also seen patients that have, st- like, they're starting to have dementia, and then they start with a pretty heavy daily use of CBD, and their dementia tends to calm down, um, both probably because of this PPAR gamma activation, um, but also because CBD causes neurogenesis, the creation of new brain cells, new neurons, especially the ones that are uh, dopamine excreting. And these dopamine excreting neurons um, help stave off um, things like Parkinson's. And so it really is helpful to use CBD on a daily basis um, you know, probably for everybody, since we know that just about everybody is suffering from endocannabinoid deficiency, but especially as you're getting older and your body isn't working as well as it used to, and you're starting to forget things and you're starting to be more aware of a potential dementia or Parkinson's in your future. Like, like you don't want to go too long without supplementing your endocannabinoid system so it can do the business of keeping you healthy. 
Now, if you really want to dive into understanding CBD, the only place I recommend is projectcbd.org that I mentioned at the top of the show. Um, founder Martin Lee has put together a, an exceptional cannabis resource for patients, and it's the only online source that I fully trust. So the articles are written in layman's terms, and then they also prov- provide direct links to the original scientific papers. So so don't forget Project CBD. It is a, it is a great, and as far as I'm concerned, the only place to go online. So there's a great deal of confusion and debate about the proper dosing of CBD. So when using whole plant, we can offer CBD milligram suggestions, but the other cannabinoids in the resin will always play an uncontrolled role because we don't know how CBD might interact with the canaflavin that is also in the resin and what they might be doing synergistically together. So CBD in a whole resin goes further than just a CBD isolate because it's got its partners in the resin, all the other components of the resin there with it. And so because of that, CBD whole resin will almost nearly always give you a um, a better efficacious experience than, than just isolate alone. But again, if you don't have access to CBD resin or you can't afford it at the, the amount that you need, uh, by all means, give a high quality CBD isolate a try and see if that will help you. All right. So with that, let's talk to, let's talk some specific numbers. So looking back to 2015, when I was first recommending CBD to patients, you know, doctors willing to take a position at all said that about 10 milligrams per day of whole plant CBD um, was good for as a supplement that would support a healthy person to stay healthy. And I think that the actuality for healthy people is probably twice that. So 10 milligrams twice a day, once in the morning and once again after lunch. Um, not in the evening, because about 20% of people find CBD stimulating and um, not stimulating in a way of like coffee or caffeine or anything like that. It, more stimulating where um, when people take the CBD, suddenly their body wants to do that housekeeping stuff, like removing the plaque on the synapses in the brain and uh, cleaning up the mucus off the, the, the um, cilia in the gut. And so you don't really want to kick all that stuff off um, as you are, um, you know, trying to trying to go to sleep. And so, but you know, that's only about twenty percent of patients. But I don't recommend that people take uh, CBD uh, in the evening unless they've already had a trial, right? And you don't want to do your trial like on a work night or a school night or something like that. Try it on a try it on a Saturday, so so that you make sure that you're not reactive to CBD and uh, making it more difficult to sleep. So as soon as you have something wrong, that number of 10 milligrams twice a day will jump up. And if you're actively working on an issue like arthritic inflammation, migraines, IBS, or something like that, um, you immediately are going to want to jump up to more like 20 to 40 milligrams twice a day. Um, and and that will work on your endocannabinoid system at a rate that you're likely to see something even maybe within a week. But I always recommend a full month of daily CBD as a trial because it, it does take your body some time to rebuild the endocannabinoid system enough to probably meet your goals. And we don't know how many... Uh, uh, 
CBD receptors that you have in your body, you might have more or less. So it may take longer for your body to get the reaction to the daily supplementation of CBD that you're looking for. And, you know, a month is, it's not too long, but it is enough, right? If, if, if you've taken it for a month and you're taking enough every day and you're not really seeing results at the end of the month, well, you might as well put your money elsewhere. Now, if you're dealing with something big and chronic like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or multiple sclerosis or just wicked joint pain, the right answer for most people is probably to take as much as you can afford. And this is so frustrating to patients when I'm talking to them because, um, you know, if they've got something serious and a whole plant is expensive and sometimes hard to find, um, they're just all like, well, how much do I need? And, and I'm all like, well, you know, it's expensive. How much can you afford? And which is a very frustrating answer. And I, I, and I understand that. So I try to give them an idea of how many milligrams of CBD they want, and then they start doing the math, and they're like, oh, man, you know, that's that's half of a CBD uh, syringe, and I need that, you know, twice a day. So you're going through like one a day, and depending where you are in the country, those CBD syringes can be anywhere between 30 and 80 bucks each. And um, it's not like the old days where, um, you know, in, in many states, medical systems, you, when you were buying from, from the grower, um, there was always a discount to people who had uh, chronic illnesses, especially people who um, were fighting cancer. Because by the time you're fighting cancer, most people are broke when they, when they find their way to cannabis. And so um, it's very challenging to recommend CBD for people who, who need a lot of it. And, you know, perhaps for some of those people, a good solution will be to purchase CBD, um, whole plant oil in a syringe, and then maybe even spike it with, with isolate to get more bang for your buck. Now, um, I have a chronic disease and I take 80 milligrams twice a day, but I grow my own and I make my own oil. So my costs are much lower than at a licensed store. And this, again, is why I'm a big proponent of cannabis patient self-sufficiency. And I really hope that our society continues to increase our support of that. So before I go on to the black swan patients around CBD, I want to kind of like wrap up the numbers of dosing that I was suggesting into a little nicer package because um, I can imagine that it, it might feel a little a little vague at this point, especially when I've all like take as much as you can afford, right? So so we essentially have got three different levels of of dosing, and and to find out where your dosing may need to be for your particular ailment, again I send you back to. Um, the uh, Project CBD site because on projectcbd.org you can find the actual studies and you can find out how much CBD they're giving the patients, what their results were like, and if they were using a whole plant or an isolate uh, preparation. And because at this point you understand that um, the whole plant tends to be more more effective and then isolate you can you can start to kind of gauge where your particular needs are uh, for where you want to start your your dosing and then you can start making your changes after after you see or don't see um, effects so those those three levels are 
Um, if you're if you're generally healthy and you want to stay that way, um, shoot for 10 milligrams of CBD twice a day as a minimum. If you can afford or get your hands on more, well, that's that's all the better. But um, but the the doctors that I have talked to and interviewed say that you know if you're not actually actively trying to fix something, taking 10 milligrams twice a day for 20 milligrams a day is a, is a great place to go. Um, the next level up are if there is something actively you're trying to work on, like your um, like migraines, like IBS, like arthritic inflammation in the arms or, or, in, or, or in your knees or whatever. And that, that you're really talking about, um, like 40 milligrams twice a day at that middle, middle place. And then of course there's this high end where, you know, if, if they're using 200 milligram doses in trials, um, not a lot of people can afford 200 milligrams of whole plant CBD or, or maybe even isolate CBD. And so you just, you know, you take as much as you can and, and perhaps you can find yourself a syringe of CBD whole plant and then spike it with some isolate and get creative. And so, um, while that seems a bit on the vague side, there's a lot of different things. There's dozens of different ailments that CBD can help with. And, um, you know, this isn't a show just about dosing CBD. I want to teach you how to think about how to dose CBD. And then you can continue with a little bit more of your own research. And this will provide a, a context for you to put that new information in as you are um, designing your own protocol. All right. So one note on uh, black swan patients uh, around CBD. So I have worked with one immune compromised patient who also had rheumatoid arthritis and would become delirious and experience missing time after simply ingesting 10 milligrams of CBD in a whole plant cannabis oil. And you know, and it was really hard to believe it unless I had seen it. And I saw it a few times and we know that it wasn't very high in THC in the oil because it was hemp extracted and lab tested. And so we're certain that the THC component was under one milligram. And yet something in this patient was definitely activated. And on more than one occasion, because the patient had a long history of using this same oil, Suddenly, when they took the oil at this low amount of just 10 milligrams, they were they were losing entire afternoons and and were kind of delirious and tired and had to sleep the rest of the day. We still don't know what that is. And when I talk to, you know, cannabinopathic scientists, um, they they're skeptical and they don't want to believe me. But. I've been doing this a long time now, and I know the stuff to rule out, and so I see it. So um, I don't really tell you this to caution you against CBD because CBD is so safe. Um, but uh, you know, this is an extraordinarily rare thing, and I bring it up in case you are a caregiver and you come across a patient like this. Um, no, just know that it's possible. Humans are incredibly varied, and knowing that something is possible, even if rare, can help us guide patients should they have this sort of rare reaction. So before we close this CBD section, it's worthwhile to mention that CBDA, um, which is the acid and raw form, unheated form of CBD that is present in the cannabis plant, also has a strong affinity for the 5-HT1A receptor, even more so than CBD. And preclinical studies indicate that CBDA is also a potent anti-emetic 
for nausea, stronger than CBD or THC, which also have the anti-nausea properties. And the reason why I dropped this in here is just to kind of uh, ignite the idea in you that while most of the preparations of medicine that we have are not the acid forms, so most of the time what is available to us is CBD, not CBD, CBDA. And by the time we take THC, it's THC and not THCA. We need to remember that the acid forms that have not be, been decarboxylated or heated, um, they have their own uh, sets of ways that they help the endocannabinoid system. And, and don't be shy about taking your cannabinoids raw right from the plant, um, say, for example, by making hash and just eating it instead of uh, using some kind of preparation that uh, you have to heat it either by... Uh, making a, an extracted cannabis oil, which you have to heat to remove the um, the ethanol, um, or or you know tra- traditionally smoking THC, where the burning of it is the decarboxylation process. So it's just in, it's just valuable to understand that these acid forms of these cannabinoids often have entirely different useful properties than their non acid forms. Okay. So the third one we're going to cover um, in this set is is CBG, and and we're going to cover this um, in a shorter amount of time than THC and CBD because I would say that the vast majority of people who are here are looking for dosing recommendations for THC and CBD because those are the ones that have been studied the most and the ones that we can get our hands on the most. But CBG is now becoming increasingly available uh, ever since some CBG dominant um, can cannabis plants um, found their way into the market, you know, about five years ago now. So, so now there are uh, many hemp farms that are growing CBG, CBG dominant plants. And so CBG is now available in isolate form and, um, and as a whole plant resin too. Uh, I must admit, I don't see CBG resin available just anywhere. And, um, you know, I have to grow my own plants and make it myself if I want it because, um, it's not, it's not available in the licensed recreational, um, system where I live. So one of the newest cannabinoids to get attention and one with very specific uses is CBG, cannabigerol. So I'm going to delineate um, two specific uses for CBG and then and then give you the dosing regimen for it. So we found when we did um, our research here on uh, Vashon Island three years ago, when we gave CBG to a round of patients and then did a questionnaire afterwards, that um, the number one... Um, uh, the number one thing that people responded to was that it helped neuropathic pain. So that's pain from some kind of nervous system damage or dysregulation, like like a stabbing pain that seems without cause or cold or numb fingers or limbs, that, that feeling of pins and needles, for example, um, uh, and, and especially on your um, um, periphery, right? The external parts of your body. And so when people... Uh, take CBG, um, it decreases that experience. And, um, it is true. We don't, we don't know exactly know why yet, but, uh, we do know that it happens and it, and it happens, um, pretty consistently across the board. Some of the, some of the things that cannabis help with, we have to very much say, oh, your mileage may vary. But, um, these two attributes in CBG seems to be pretty reliable across the board. And one of the great things about CBG is that, um, it doesn't have intoxication. So it, 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 
unless you are are taking a CBG from a plant that it's married to THC in the preparation, like like you don't grow a CBG hemp plant. Instead, you you grow a one-to-one plant that's one part CBG and one part THC. So long as you're you're not intentionally adding the THC component, CBG on its own won't get you high, which makes it very reliable for lots of people who have pain, but they don't want to feel any level of intoxication. And CBG is incredibly reliable for this. The second great use for CBG is uh, actually anxiety. Um, I was really surprised when we got back the questionnaires and, and there were there were multiple different flavors of anxiety that people found great help with. So um, the first one was social anxiety. People said that it kind of like calmed them down and it allowed them to be social and interact with other people. Uh, we also heard from people that um, it a softened performance anxiety. So public speaking or um, at the beginning of COVID when everyone was getting on Zoom meetings for the first time, you know, Zoom meetings are very socially awkward situations. And a lot of people found it very uncomfortable to be doing these Zoom meetings and CBG helped people like cool out so that they could um, tolerate the the awkwardness, stay calm and engaged and, and be productive uh, in their Zoom meetings. And then the third one was a real surprise. Many patients would explain it to me by by putting their their hands on their hips and, and thrusting their chest out like a superhero would. And, and they'd say, like, it gives me the confidence of a superhero. And after I heard that enough times, I I really had to start like listening and thinking about it because people really seem to get an increase of confidence from it. Like, and how they described it is I feel like um I feel like I have the resources to get what I need to get done today versus, you know, if you wake up with rumination and you're like, oh my gosh, I just don't, I just don't have what it takes to get through the day. That can really just like hold you back your entire day. But if you start your day with a little CBG and suddenly you're all like, okay, I can handle this. Let's go. And, um, it showed up very significantly in the questionnaires that we got back, but then also in the three years since then, um, uh, I just I just see it in patients all the time when they when they tell me that they have sourced it and they're using it and they're loving it and they never want to not have it again. And so um, CBG cannabigerol can be relied on for um, as a really reliable anti-anxiety with no intoxication. Okay, so now the specific numbers and milligrams that, that we're seeing people have success with. Um, uh, 10 milligrams of CBG every three hours does a great job for both. So... If you want to use it as a pain reliever, 10 milligrams of CBG every three hours does, does, has, usually has fantastic results. Um, if you have got a very high background anxiety, you might need to take CBG multiple times throughout the day. But really, for most folks, they'll take it in the morning and it kind of sets them on the, on an anti-anxiety path for the day. And they just seem to be like, okay with that one dose. Now, if they have like a stress event in the afternoon, um, many people will take it again. But really, um, un- unless you already have chronic anxiety, if you just like have a bit of anxiety or if you have like morning ruminations that you need to get rid of, you may get away with just taking 10 milligrams of whole plant CBG just once in the morning and be good for the rest of the day. But 
you know, if your anxiety continues throughout the day, you can certainly take it um, as needed because taking more um, has got no negative impact. Now, 20 milligrams makes it happen even faster and with a bit more um, spunk. So uh, let's say that, um, you know, generally you take 10 milligrams just because you've got a high background anxiety, but um, today you need to give a presentation, right? And so your, your, your anxiety is going to be especially peaked. Well, then go ahead and take 20 milligrams and, and don't monkey around with it, right? Um, and those are, that's, those are great low numbers, right? You know, if you, if you think back to the THC, we were talking, you know, um, you know, 10, you know, five or 10, but then the CBD, we were talking 80 and 200. Well, this is back down to uh, THC levels, more like 10 or 20 milligrams and uh, makes it much more affordable if you can find it because the CBG that is available to you um, just lasts a whole lot longer. Okay, so uh, to wrap up this second set, we looked at um, the the you know how to think about dosing for THC and for CBD and for CBG. And granted, there are a lot of other cannabinoids out there, but um, between the lack of availability in most places and the lack of the research about what is an effective dose, um, I don't want to give you information that is not solidified yet. And, and so since these are the three cannabinoids that most people, um, have easier access to, this is, this is what we're going to talk about today. And as new cannabinoids become more available in the future, like for example, CBN, we're going to be seeing a lot more of of CBN soon. Um, you know, when that comes, you will have, um, you will have the proper understanding and context to, look at the studies that are coming out and being published on projectcbd.org and learning how to add that to your own particular health protocol with cannabis medicine. All right. So um, uh, we're going to take our short break. And when we come back with set three, we're going to talk about um, some use cases um, uh, like arthritis and leg and joint pain and neuropathy. And 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 we'll just talk about um, thinking through some of these use cases um, to make sure that you really understand how to think through doing your dosing. Because like I've said, everybody's dosing in the end is unique. We, we can give you these guides to get you started, but in the end, you will be divide, divided your own protocol as you get to understand how cannabis medicine works and how it works with your own body. So uh, we're going to take a short break and be right back. You are listening to the 100th episode of Shaping Fire, and I am Shango Lose. Without these advertisers, Shaping Fire would not happen. So please support them and let you know, let them know you heard them on Shaping Fire. As cannabis regulations become more demanding and consumers become more educated, it is increasingly important to avoid the use of chemical pesticides when cultivating cannabis. Beneficial insects have been used for decades by the greenhouse vegetable and ornamental plant industry, and today many cannabis cultivators are moving from sprays and chemicals to beneficial insects. Copert has the beneficial insects, mites, and nematodes, microbials, sticky cards, and air distribution units you need to partner with nature to defend your garden. Whether you manage acres of canopy or have a simple grow tent in your home, Copert is ready to help answer your questions and help you transition away from chemical sprays towards clean and natural solutions. 
Since 1967, Copert has assisted growers in identifying pests and devising reliable solutions while providing healthy insects and mites that will protect your yield. Since the 1990s, Copert has been a leader in cannabis pest and disease control worldwide and have highly trained consultants to assist you in Canada and the United States from coast to coast. With their global network of grower support, Copert can help. Visit copert.com, choose your country, and get detailed information. That's copert, K-O-P-P-E-R-T dot com. For the most up-to-date cannabis-related biological control information, you can also check their Instagram at Copert Canada. You know getting away from pesticides is good for health and good for business, and Copert is ready to help. Visit copert.com today. Once you've discovered the benefits of using cannabis, it's a very small step to start making your own edibles, gummies, lotions, tinctures, and concentrated oils at home. Magical Butter has been helping cannabis consumers become self-sufficient for over a decade. With the easy-to-use Magical Butter Countertop Botanical Extractor, you can create high-quality cannabis products to your exact specifications at a fraction of the cost of store-bought edibles. I talk a lot on this show about the importance of home growing so you don't have to rely on others to feel healthy. Well, the Magical Butter Machine can empower your personal health by putting you in control of how you use cannabis in your daily life. I've been making my own butters and oils on the stove for years, and I much prefer the ease of using the Magical Butter Machine. I just set it and walk away. With the simple touch of a button, the Magical Butter Machine grinds, heats, stirs, and steeps your herbal extract all at the correct time interval and temperature for the perfect infusion every time. As a result, you achieve your desired infusion easily, safely, and consistently. Check out the Magical Butter Instagram to see the machine in action. And don't feel like you have to go it alone. There is a huge community on Facebook called Magical Butter Users United, sharing recipes and best practices so you can learn at your own pace from others who are already doing it successfully. Now is the time to get your own Magical Butter machine and save money while enjoying cannabis. Use the discount code SHAPINGFIRE, one word, no caps, to get 10% off. Visit MagicalButter.com today. After you've caught up on the latest Shaping Fire episodes, do you sometimes wish there was more cannabis education available to learn? Well, we got you. Shaping Fire has a fabulous YouTube channel with content not found on the podcast. When I attend conventions to speak or moderate panels, I always record them and bring the content home for you to watch. The Shango Los YouTube channel has world-class speakers, including Zoe Sigmund's lecture, Understanding Your Endocannabinoid System, Kevin Jodry of Wonderland Nursery talking about breeding cannabis for the best terpene profile, Frenchie Cannoli's Lost Art of the Hashishin presentation, Nicholas Mahmoud on regenerative and polyculture cannabis growing, Dr. Sunil Agarwal on the history of cannabis medicine around the world, Eric Vlosky and Josh Rutherford on solventless extraction, and Jeff Lowenfels on the soil food web. There are several presentations from Dr. Ethan Russo on terpenes and the endocannabinoid system, too. While there, be sure to check out the three 10-part Shaping Fire Sessions series, one with Kevin Jodry, one with Dr. Ethan Russo, and one with Jeff Lowenfels. And even my own presentations on how to approach finding your dream job in cannabis and why we choose cannabis business, even though the risks are so high. As of today, there's over 200 videos that you can check out for free. So go to youtube.com forward slash Shango Lose or click on the link in the newsletter.
Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire episode 100, and I am your host, Shango Los. So here we are in the third set, the big wrap-up. So during the first set, we learned about how our endocannabinoid system functions and considered some of the different ways to take cannabis medicine into your body based on what uh, is going to be best to suit uh, the ailment that you are working with. During the second set, we talked about very specific um, dosing strategies and how to consider dosing protocols um, for the most popular three cannabinoids that people um, look to supplement with, THC, CBD, and CBG. And here in set three, which hopefully will be uh, shorter than the first two, um, we're going to talk about um, one, two, three, four, five, six specific um, um issues that people come to me asking for dosing strategies for and we'll go over those kind of swiftly since since you've heard most of the analysis already earlier in the show um, i'm just going to tie them together um, which should you know kind of give you a roadmap to how you can think about them yourself so all right let's get right to it so the first one we're going to talk about is kind of this bucket of issues which is arthritis leg and joint pain and neuropathy. Um, the thing that these all have in common is that uh, it is an ongoing chronic discomfort or pain, um, most likely caused by inflammation. And so even though it, it manifests differently in these different issues, um, they, they really do have a, a lot of similarity in how we're going to treat them. And so if somebody came to me with one of these, this is what I would say. Um, first of all, I would recommend uh, 2.5 to 5 milligrams of THC if they are intolerant of THC or are especially concerned about, you know, feeling out of control or high in any way. Um, and then if they, I would also tell them that once they built up a comfort with uh, taking THC or if they already take THC, perhaps they are a, a, you know, a recreational toker or something, then go ahead and start with five to 10 milligrams, you know, if they are THC tolerant. Um, you know, if you've built up a tolerance from daily use, this number can go as high as 100 milligrams or more, as we've already talked about. These patients could probably benefit from a tolerance break from the THC. And I understand that some patients cannot live a day without THC. So I'm not being cocky about it or ableist. What I'm trying to say is if you can work it out for a day or two or more to not take THC to bring your tolerance down from needing to take 100 milligrams a day, it would probably be both physically and financially of benefit to you. And the last thing I would say here is to consider a topical. Um, with arthritis and leg and joint pain and often neuropathy, um, you can actually use a THC-based topical localized and targeted to where the discomfort's coming from. And then that way you are taking cannabinoids orally, which will help with uh, systemic anti-inflammation. But also when you place the topical locally, you're getting, you know, you're doubling down on making sure that you're applying cannabinoids in the process proper area. If you are making your own tinctures and you are aware that topicals are expensive, I encourage you to just take some of your tincture and, you know, a ramekin like they serve you ketchup in at the restaurant. Go ahead and put some kind of a hand lotion or a massage lotion or like Lubriderm or something in one of those little uh, ketchup ramekins and then put just a little bit of your tincture in it and swirl it around with 
with your finger, and now you have made instant topical. Um, it's what I used in the early days um, before I learned how to make topicals, and it works absolutely fantastic. So you can consider that and save a lot of money on the kind of prices that they charge for topicals at the licensed stores. All right, so that's a quick run-through of arthritis, leg and joint pain, and neuropathy. Let's talk about cancer symptom relief. So we're not talking about the full fight cancer protocol here, and, and hopefully we'll do this again sometime, and, and I'll talk about the cancer cancer fighting protocol in detail. What we're talking about here is um, for patients who have got cancer and are um, either simply just suffering from the cancer and they, they're, that's all they're doing, um, so they're looking for comfort, or more commonly, they've chosen to go the route of uh, some variety of uh, chemotherapy, and so they are dealing with the symptoms from the chemo um, stacked on top of the discomfort and um, from the cancer uh, experience itself. So for these people, the first thing I would recommend is um, uh, THC, and that's going to help them in so many ways. The first thing it's going to do is just make them a little more comfortable in their body. By the time cancer has gotten advanced, and especially if you are um, taking any kind of chemo, your your human meat suit is just not feeling like your ally anymore. Um, you've got aches and pains and things aren't working properly and fluids aren't moving properly. And it's just all around lack of comfort. But um, taking five to 10 milligrams of THC-based tincture is going to put you in a place where you feel a little more comfortable in your body. Your muscles are a little more relaxed instead of just being clenched. And, um, and you're a little distracted from the THC too. And you, know, you haven't really changed the status of your body. Your body is still incredibly uncomfortable and sick. However, you can get a little bit of respite just from the THC and the relaxation and the, and the easing of your human. Also, that THC is very likely to give you an appetite as well. And as we know, um, cancer patients, especially in chemo, tend to lose their appetite. And we really don't want you thinning down at the same time. We want to try to help you keep weight on so that, um, you know, you don't slip into some kind of a, a, a wasting, um, cycle, uh, cause that's, that's not usually a good sign. Um, if you have access to THCA, that's the, um, that's THC that has not been heated or decarboxylated. THCA is actually really effective in um, cancer patients for helping rebuild appetite as well. Um, just in case for you, THC is not appetite forming. Uh, try the acid form. Um, we get a lot of good results with that here on the island. Um, ever since we started talking about it. So that's been a uh, real positive. And so, and the last thing for cancer symptom relief is to just simply take as much whole plant CBD oil as, as you can afford, as we discussed earlier, because your body's endocannabinoid system is probably a wreck from all of the pharmaceuticals. And especially if you are taking chemo and your body's natural balancing system is has been totally traumatized. And so you're not properly making signaling molecules and, and endocannabinoids. And you could really benefit from dumping as much CBD into your body as you can likely afford. So, um, you know, I, I guess I should put a, a top on it. I wouldn't put you know, more than 400 milligrams of whole plant into, um, 
you know, a day, you, you probably, your body probably couldn't process more than that. And I actually don't have an opinion on uh, how much isolate is a maximum. Um, in, in, especially for cancer, I would really recommend that you use a whole plant preparation so that you're getting all the secondary uh, novel cannabinoids and um, <clears throat> the other synergistic components that we're not entirely certain how they help out yet, like canaflavin and, and the others, for example. Let's talk about migraines. So migraines, um, they're kind of low-hanging fruit. Um, it either works or it doesn't, but what the dosage is is pretty basic. And it's 20 milligrams of whole plant CBD two times a day minimum. So you can take more if you'd like, of course. Um, but uh, 20 milligrams two times a day uh, seems to work pretty well for folks. Once people realize uh, whether or not they are of the 20% of people who are kept awake at night by CBD because of it activating the body's housekeeping, if you're not one of those 20%, go ahead and take it in the evening too, which uh, hopefully will act as a prophylactic so you don't wake up in the morning with a migraine. But be aware that if you are one of the 20% of people that CBD keeps up at night, um, you want to avoid that because that probably will increase your likelihood of actually waking up with a migraine. I also would have you consider uh, a small amount of THC for muscle relaxation because we know that not only does a relaxation of the muscle sets help decrease the likelihood of migraines, but if you are a pretty severe migraine patient, your body's fear of having another migraine and going through that, that cycle of pain and discomfort itself can cause the body to um, constrict, which in and of itself can cause migraines. And, and it just feels bad. So if you're not resistant to uh, trying THC, um, taking five milligrams of a THC tincture along with the 20 milligrams of CBD um, uh, will likely help you either move out of a migraine or even better uh, be a preventative. I would also consider uh, have you consider um, microdosing psilocybin mushrooms at uh, 0.1 milligrams um, taken 20 days a month. Um, if you'd like to learn more about working with your migraine using psilocybin mushrooms, I encourage you to listen to Shaping Fire episode 67 with Dr. Russo, where we talk all about uh, treating migraines with cannabis and uh, psilocybin mushrooms. It's a good one. The next one we're going to talk about is insomnia. Insomnia is incredibly common um, for me to hear about because so many people have got it for different reasons, and it is actually pretty easy to treat with um, <clears throat> with cannabis. The first question I always ask people, though, when they tell me that they have insomnia is not one that they generally like, and that question is always, um, do you drink coffee in the morning? Because that is the first thing to go. The half-life of the drug we call caffeine is 14 hours, so by the time you are drinking tomorrow morning's coffee, you are still on yesterday's caffeine that you took in the morning. And if this is continuing every day, you're never not on caffeine, which means that when you're trying to go to sleep at night, you are always fighting against a stimulant that you took not only that morning, but yesterday morning as well. And so that would be the first place is to stop drinking caffeine. Um, second, I would ask them what they think their source of their insomnia or what, what's the flavor. 
Um, insomnia tends to fall into two categories. One being some sort of discomfort or pain, and then the other sort being some sort of anxiety or rumination. And then I would suggest for them solutions for the pain or the anxiety rumination. Um, but oddly, <laughs> they do tend to be both the same cannabis prescription, which is five to 10 milligrams of an indica tincture made using purple flowering cannabis plants. Now, I know that the terms sativa and indica are antiquated, but people are still using them and they can be helpful when going to, you know, a licensed store and talking with a bud tender. But what we're looking for are uh, tinctures, uh, preferably made from plants from the you know Afghanistan, Pakistan region um, that are purple, because these plants um, are uh, heavily narcotic and lethargic. And that's what we want to do, right? We want to cause uh, drowsiness and we want to cause muscle relaxation and we want to slow you down and make you feel a little dreamy and then put you to sleep. Also, these plants, these purple flowering cannabis plants, um, they're usually packed with the, terper, the terpenes myrcene and linalool, which also help you feel drowsy and have you go to sleep. Um, specifically, if the insomnia is caused by anxiety and rumination, um, it would be really great uh, to add some CBG tincture to that as well. And if the person that you're working with or yourself um, is THC intolerant, either on principle or, or they're sensitive to it, um, you can just give them CBG. Um, CBG helps with both pain and anxiety rumination. Um, so taking between 10 milligrams and 20 milligrams of CBG for insomnia is very effective for folks, especially if um, they are very much not interested in taking THC. Depression. Depression would be 20 milligrams two times a day of CBD. Where you're taking that because your goal is to build up the endocannabinoid system and to help regulate the brain chemistry. Um, this is something that you want to do long term, right? CBD is not something that you're just going to take Monday and then Thursday and then Sunday. No, no, no. You want to take CBD every day because the benefits, the primary benefits come from building up your endocannabinoid system and making it burly so it can do its job regulating your body's systems. So that would be um, 20 milligrams, two times a day, three times if you can take it in the evening uh, of CBD. And also to put yourself in a good mood and make things a little more tolerable while you're trying to change yourself systemically, go ahead and try to get your hands on some CBG tincture or oil as well and take 10 milligrams of that twice a day in the morning and then after lunch. Um, that CBG, my goodness, is it an effective anti-anxiety and it just makes things feel a little better. And the confidence that it brings really helps even out the depression vibes of hopelessness. And then I would also recommend microdosing psilocybin. Microdosing psilocybin um, really helps improve your neural network and pull you out of a funk. Um, there's lots of research on it to support it, and I encourage you to check out the, um, the microdose psilocybin episodes on Shaping Fire. And the last one we're going to talk about here is neurodivergent support. 
Um, more and more people, especially during quarantine, when our lives got less thrilling and we were creating less dopamine from having relatively boring quarantined lives, um, a lot of people realized that they have some flavor of neurodivergence. And while you figure that out um, by doing your reading and checking out the uh, neuro neurodivergent community on TikTok, I also recommend um, these uh, as potential things to help you get through as you figure out the best combination for you. Uh, 40 milligrams of CBD whole plant oil two times a day. Um, this is, of course, because we want to build up that endocannabinoid system and we want to give our brain as many signaling molecules as it can to do its job because neurodivergent brains, they are running hotter and faster than other people's brains and they need intentional support. Um, you're not driving a, you know, a regular car like everybody else. You're driving a Formula One and Formula One cars, they need special specialty tires, specialty oils, specialty fluids, and so do you, my friend. Um, it was also helpful to you know <laughs> keep things in a good perspective by um, supplementing with CBG, 10 milligrams, two times a day. Um, and, and the reason is just simply, it's hard out there for neurodivergent folks. This world was not designed for the neurodivergent brain, and that can get incredibly frustrating. And so taking some CBG, giving you that, that confidence and a feeling that you've got the resources to make it work, it can really make your days more tolerable. Um, I'd also recommend uh, 200 milligrams of L-theanine. Now, this is not a cannabis uh, product, that's for sure, um, but I know that neurodivergent folks who run hot and anxious um, find that L-theanine, 200 milligrams of it, um, really evens out the spiky parts of the day, the days that where you get overstimulated and or harshed out. From, uh, from, you know, uh, feeling over sensory inputted, um, L-theanine does a really great job taking out the, the scratchiness of your day. And if you happen to be a person that's into THC, well, you know, having some THC tincture just to make you too feel more comfortable in your body that can often feel strange to you, um, feel free to add, you know, five to 10 milligrams of THC, um, as you wish. And good luck. So these, these, uh, these six areas that I just, you know, swiftly went through how I would think through dosing suggestions. I, I did this not because like, you know, I can't go through everything, all the issues that everybody has. But the idea is I, I wanted to give you a couple pictures, a couple examples of how you can stack different uh, cannabis, uh, different cannabinoids along with different entheogens like psilocybin mushrooms, um, along with occasional, you know, herbal supplements like L-theanine and some common sense, like perhaps don't drink coffee if you're have insomnia, um, so that you can, you know, figure out a stack for yourself that meets your needs. Um, you don't have to do it the way other people do. Individualized medicine is, is a thing and your body is unique. And so um, keep a journal, figure out what works for you, and, and don't let your family or doctors push you around. Um, I am a strong advocate of patients' rights, as, as everybody knows, especially um, uh, cannabis patient self-sufficiency. So um, it's your body. Take notes and, and learn what's best for you. And I guess that's a wrap. 
Um, if you are still with us, uh, thank you so much for listening to this entire episode. Um, it is the longest Shaping Fire episode that um, I have published, and I wanted to get this all in one document, right? I have been thinking about this show and, and working on notes for it for a long time now, and if you know you have found the time to listen to it for yourself, um, I congratulate you. And if you are listening to this because you are a caregiver or someone you love uses cannabis medicine, well, I really appreciate you too, because uh, cannabis patients need all the help and support and love that we can get. So um, if you would like to learn more, uh, please peruse the first hundred episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. There are so many great episodes for uh, patients about patient health and for how to cultivate your own cannabis in a healthy and organic regenerative way. Um, Who knows if you're a patient, maybe growing will be your new hobby. I also recommend that you check out the Shaping Fire YouTube channel, where there are nearly 200 videos of speakers um, from all sorts of different conventions and such that I have attended over the years, and um, I've just always posted the videos there. Um, So you can find those um, uh, topics ranging from cannabis to uh, mushrooms to ibogaine, all sorts of uh, different videos there on YouTube. Just uh, search YouTube Shaping Fire. So thanks for being here for episode 100 of Shaping Fire, and I am your host, Shango Los. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news, exclusive videos, and giveaways. On the Shaping Fire website, you also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. Be sure to follow on Instagram for all original content not found on the podcast. That's at Shaping Fire and at Shango Los on Instagram. Be sure to check out the Shaping Fire YouTube channel for exclusive interviews, farm tours, and cannabis lectures. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Lose.